0: Morning, everybody. So, did she sing live, or was she Memorex? bit difficult to tell with Dolly Parton. You need to go back over some of her concerts. You need to listen to certain songs. You need to watch her fingers. Is she actually playing the instrument? I mean, if she was miming, it was a blooming clever trick, because I've watched it a few times. Kay Burley reckoned she was. But I watched it yesterday, and I listened to her singing, because when she sings, she's able to sing very, very softly. And you think to yourself, but you would hear everything else. You'd hear her breathing, but you don't appear to hear that. So whether it's some new microphone she's got, I don't know. I've seen her on stage numerous times, on television, obviously, and on DVD, and I still can't work it out. I've listened to it carefully. If it's a recording, it's a blooming good one. If she's miming, it's a bit of a fraud. But The crowd seemed to like her. They didn't know three quarters of the songs. Uh, I, I did find a lovely video <laughs> on YouTube of her singing a great song called Me and Little Andy. And uh, she says, I'm known for singing uh, really sad songs. She said, This one's pitiful. And the <laughs> gets a huge cheer from the crowd. So she sings this song about a little puppy dog who ends up dying and going up to heaven, which lovely. You know, it's all very sweet. Uh, most of the songs she sang the other day, a lot of the crowd obviously didn't know. They know the nine to five. They know, you know, working nine to five. And they know Jolene, Jolene. And they know a few others. But the rest of it goes way over their head. And then halfway through, she decided to do the God bit. And she does it in every one of her shows. She sings a gospel song, and then she you know, thanks God for everything she 's done and i 'm thinking this is kind of way over everybody 's head here. It was kind of kind of a bit of a switch off you think, oh don 't start preaching, love, but you get the impression that she hasn 't got the faintest idea where she is she, i literally I think she gets on the tour bus, they fly her somewhere she gets off she goes on the stage how y'all doing i 'm from the Smoky Mountains." You know, I'm one of twelve children, six girls, six boys. We was just randy people, and, uh, and then she sell, and she's still got the little cabin, and she's got it in Dollywood. She's an industry. There's no doubt about it. And uh, I loved it. I thought it was absolutely great. And she also pulled the biggest crowd, so that stuck two fingers up to the... who the God's name wants Metallica when you've got Dolly Parton. I should imagine the whole the whole genre of Glastonbury changed overnight. It went from being fairly butch heterosexual to rampant queens. I mean, you know, she describes herself. If she'd been born a man, she'd I'd have been a drag queen, and uh, that goes with the hair and everything else. She's 68, 68 is she? Something like that. Whatever it was, it was good. And she packed them out. And as far as the eye could see, they were all there to see what. She, I think because half of them had never had a, had never had an, uh, sort of enough of her, and they wanted to see exactly what Dolly Parton was like. And so they <laughs> stood there and watched. In between, I think Yoko Ono was playing one of the other, one of the other. Uh, stages, and uh, I don't think she pulled as big a crowd, but it's Dolly Parton, you don't get a bigger camper icon, do you, than Dolly Parton, and so that's why, I mean, how, how are they going to top it, reuniting S Club 7, I suppose, I can't think of anything that would be better than Dolly Parton, but it was it was an interesting experience, but was she live or was she part Memorex, you know, was she playing all those instruments, was she playing the violin when you saw her doing it, it kind of looked a bit dodgy to me. But then, I suppose, from a distance, you can't really tell. If you were watching on the big screens down there, then you'd have probably thought to yourself, I don't know, it's not syncing up, is it, properly? But that's because of delay. But she makes the front cover of every newspaper. I mean, literally, every news... Well, I mean, yes, no, every... In fact, the uh, the Metro are running the advert for the highlight of Glastonbury, Dolly Parton, Blue Smoke, The Best Of. But, I mean, come on, if you're a Dolly Parton fan, you must have all the blooming hits by now. She makes the front of the Mail. She makes the front of the Express... She makes the front of the Daily Star. She makes the front of the Telegraph. She makes the front of the Eye. She makes the front of the Independent. She makes the front of the Times. She's on everything. I've never known such coverage of a woman wearing a wig trying to look trashy. Wait a minute, Josie... Oh, no, Josie Callum only makes one paper this morning. She only makes the one paper. But, I mean, it's amazing, isn't it, that she goes there. I mean, I don't know how much they get paid for Glastonbury. I've really really got no idea at all. But uh, either way... That's what they were expecting. She had a, you know, a tight band behind her. She got a couple of set. One of the bloke singers is really irritating. You really want to hold him down in the mud. You really because he's just smarmy. Smarmy would describe him. He sort of plays the Kenny Rogers bit in Islands in the Stream and does a couple of other couple of other bits with her. And you just think to yourself, you really are getting on my nerves. You know, he comes over as smug. You know, as a opposed- I felt like saying to him, it's not your show, dear. It's Dolly Parton's show. And, uh, she swept up. They'll be delighted. They'll be cut. I mean, look at this old blooming page inside the mirror. And, um, Dolly Parton. There's nothing of her, really. I mean, there is nothing of her. 100,000 people, uh you know, went to see her. And she had brought on Richie Sambora. And she d- That was just after she'd done the God bit. And, uh, he had a song called Lay Your Hands On Me. And it was all a bit amen kind of stuff. So, uh, there you go. She's, uh, she conquered Glastonbury. But already she's gone. In fact, even before the band had finished playing, she'd gone. So the band keep playing, and in fact, if you get the DVD of last time she appeared in London, when I think she was at the O2, you could see her. She walks off stage, hands the microphone to somebody, gets on the tour bus, and it's gone, and the band is still playing for about another five minutes. So once she's done the one encore, when she comes on and does it and says, I'm going to get you going, all this kind of stuff, because she's done a few a few crappy songs before that, where you sort of mentally switch off, where she's sort of self-indulgent. But she's done the same act for years. She's done the same act, same wording, same everything. You know, my mama and papa died a few years ago, and I want to dedicate this song to them, because my mama made this coat of many colours for me. And and then she sings about it, because that's all she does. She does pitifully sad, depressing, slashy songs. But uh, they work well, and everybody loves singing on to Jolene. But uh, it it was mainly the camp crowd at the front. Mainly the camp crowd. <laughs> but uh, but it was good, because of the coverage she got. Blimey, that assures sort her of uh, of work around Europe for ages and ages and ages. George Michael's feeling better. I only mention him because he's bringing out a single called Feeling Good. He's 51 now. Remember, he collapsed at home in Highgate... Uh, North London, refused to comment on the reason but he's battled drug addiction. You'd think people want to tell you, wouldn't they, what's the, ma- what's the matter with you? You know, if I fall ill, I tell people. You know, I don't sort of get, no, don't talk about it. Because the more you don't talk about it, the more it just winds people up and they go, what's the matter with you? Be a man, grow up, you know, tell people, what, what's the matter with you? Then people can, can sort of sympathise, or, or what? Who knows? Elton John... That's the man with a dead hamster on his head. Turned up on all the television programmes yesterday and he thinks that Jesus would have supported gay priests marrying. I mean, where he gets this from, I've got no idea. The rocket man who's 67 said if he were alive today, I can't see him as as the Christian he was and the great person he was saying this could not happen. He's going to marry David Furnish, his boyfriend, uh, next year. Uh, He's also due to meet Vladimir Putin. Oh, yeah. Wasn't there some rumour about Vladimir Putin's sexuality? Because he spent a lot of time riding horseback with his shirt off and everything. And people were going, it's a little bit homoerotic, I think. Anyway, um, he says, I will see Putin and talk to him. I don't know what good it will do. Well, it won't do much good because he doesn't speak English. You have to sit there with an interpreter. So tell me, why don't you like whoopsies? You know, and, and, and he'll, he'll see what, what the stance is. I mean, it's not the kind of place you want to go to, is it, really? But uh, Elton every so often pops up. I thought he was married to David Furnish. I had no idea they weren't married. I was intrigued by things like this, on who's married, who's not. Hmm. Also at the paper today, oh, I can't bring in that story, it's going to make me sick too early in the programme, but I will tell you a little bit bit later. I did laugh at one story, apart from uh, Josie Cunningham. (coughs) Makes you just feel quite sick, doesn't it, really? She's going to cash in with a tell-all book about her life. Woke up, picked up client, had sex, got pregnant, sponged off the, uh, the country, went back to bed again. There you go, I've written it for you, love. You don't need to bother with it. And um, Secret Diary of an Ex-Call Girl. <laughs> Once a call cool girl, always a call cool girl. And here she is. But they say, but it will be full of mistakes. In other words, it will be as she speaks. Small wonder there are ignoramuses presenting on television now. And uh, it'll be in the shops for Christmas and could be a bestseller. She reckons she could bank a million. Think on again, stupid girl. Nobody's going to be buying your tatty old story. What, what, what story is it, love? Got up the duff with two people and uh, sponged, uh, scrounged, uh, carried on smoking, saying, I couldn't care less if it harms my child. And and you think this is a book, do you? Apparently people are bidding for it. Pfft, no, they're not. Nobody's remotely interested. An old nothing like you, dear. But I did laugh at... There's a lovely picture of Bob Geldof. Where does he get these clothes from? A lime green suit, ferreting through some bags outside a second-hand shop. And uh, he says here, he was told to help himself outside... Uh, the shop of the unwanted goods and he said in the past i'm still very cautious with money because i'm not going back to the nothing i knew in my youth where he gets these clothes from i got no he can't dress for toffee he cannot dress for toffee uh, we found the world's vilest teenager kendall jones her name is kendall jones will start a facebook campaign well she's not starting it. everybody else is starting it to uh, to keep her away but there was one piece now where did i find this there was a piece earlier on, and I, I thought it was absolutely very apropos for this program in the morning because it's all the things we like to talk about. I like the idea of the bomb squad storming a magician's flat. So that was very funny. And uh, there's a picture in uh, the Sun today of what Kelly Brook looks like without her makeup on. Unrecognisable, unrecognisable. You would never know if somebody showed you a picture and goes, "Who's that?" You go, "I don't know." Josie Cunningham, Kelly Brook. Totally unrecognisable. Uh, she went out without her makeup on, but luckily a photographer. Oh yes, here it is. I found it. I found it. Oh, I'll save it. I'll save it for a moment. Eight four eight five oh. Steve at lbc dot uk, and we shall weave everything in on the uh, the program and. Um... Wait a minute, let me have to check all these different things uh, that we get sort of coming in, in the morning. Sometimes we have to sort of sort them out. Uh, Mark says, you come over as smug. Yeah, we don't like you either, pal. Nothing worse than somebody who comes from Stafford, who's a bit thick at this time of the morning. Oh, blub. So where is Stafford? Is that near Worcestershire? We had Worcestershire the other day, didn't we? And we went, where in God's name is Worcestershire? Where's Stafford? Where's Stafford? I love this, we still love you. What, you in a home or something? We still love you. are in a secure unit. Love it. Um, did you see Josie Cunningham, says James, in the Sunday Mirror? She's only 23 years old. I know. That's the worrying thing. She's 23 but looks 50. Uh, but there again, that's what smoking does for you. Smoking, as you know, ages you very badly, and God knows. I mean, she looks as if she could be some 60 year old wreck, and she's got a tattoo all over her stomach. It's an attractive look, isn't it? And uh, secondly, why would any man spend a thousand pounds to spend any time with her? She's never earned a thousand pounds. Never, don't ever believe what you read in the newspapers. Nobody would. When all these hookers go, oh, I make a thousand pound a night. What they mean is they might have gone home with a thousand pounds, but that's about a thousand people. That's a pound each. She's not made a thousand pounds for one man. Don't be ridiculous. It doesn't go like that at all. And she was never, as we pointed out yesterday, a glamour model. That's what she aspired to being, but as she's not glamorous or attractive and looks so old and stinks like an old ashtray, nobody would touch her with a barge pole. But I've got some news on Susanna Reid in a moment. And you know we love stories about Susanna Reid. It's called past four. Steve Allen on LBC. Nick Ferrari, uh, this morning is the first legal challenge is mounted against Michael Gove's truancy fines, Nick will be asking, is anybody behind these changes? Plus, is Prince Charles right about grammar schools? And is it a good thing that from tomorrow, workers can request flexible hours? I love the story about this, um, this sort of taking kids out of school. One of them, uh, the, uh, the, the parents, quite clearly taking the, taking the Michael. What, what were they taking the kids out of school for? During term time, a memorial for the kids' great-great-grandfather. I mean, quite clearly, they're as stupid as they uh, they sound, aren't they? Uh, Hopefully they won't win. I think, you know, you don't take the kids out of school. It's as simple as that. They're in there for an education. It's not bloody flexi hours. You don't wander in when you feel like it. You know, oh, we're sending little Daniel to school today. Um, Okay, yeah, we'll we'll put him somewhere. I don't know where. Try and find something. Do you think teachers sort of sit there going, uh, well, unfortunately, most of the class can't be here. They're on holiday in Marbella. And the reason that the parents do it is, A, because they go, well, it's cheaper, isn't it? Of course, if they all stop smoking and boozing, it might be a lot easier anyway. But they take them out because it's cheaper to go during term time than it is out of term time when everybody else wants to travel. But unfortunately, schooling doesn't work like that. You know, you go to school. You don't take them out because you want to go on blooming holiday. It's ridiculous. So anyway, here's a a thing in the paper today. And this is uh, Good Morning Britain's host, Susanna Reid. Yes, it is still on the air. I know, it's hilarious. I can't believe it either. I thought they'd replaced it by Bing Tone. Or just a picture of a test card or a little girl doing a chalkboard. But anyway... Uh, she's delighted her new boss is at ITV. Has she? They keep putting out these PR puffs. I love the PR puffs from ITV. We're really right behind her. We're kind of like Birmingham, you know, something like that. We're really, really, really... Because they paid so much for her. And she has a golden future there. Yep. They said the same about Christine Bleakley. Do you remember that? Yep, she's got the golden future. She's going to be the golden girl of... She's not working. And she's sitting there twiddling her thumbs. Matt Barbette, who I know, Once of Daybreak said, (laughs) makes him sound like a spinster, doesn't it? Once of Daybreak said there was a survey last year that found Susanna was the most popular breakfast presenter ever. Was that done by by the the people at ITV? Was it the cameramen? Because I can't believe, because I never got asked and I'm out on the streets every day. I never got asked. Sorry, who is the most popular breakfast presenter ever? Well, it certainly wouldn't be Susanna. You see, it's P.R. Puff. He says, having worked with her, I can see why. Stop it now. Stop it. Strictly Come Dancing, runner-up Susanna, so failure even in that. Uh, She was hosting the latest revamp of The Breakfast Show. It's been revamped about, what, five times now? Five times. Each time, total disaster. Each time it gets worse and worse and worse. And uh, Matt left a few weeks before it was axed. He's now the face of 5 News. He did host... uh, They say Matt, who co-hosted BBC Breakfast with Susanna on several occasions, did he? Matt Barbette was on BBC Breakfast. I must have missed that bit. Anyway, he said, uh, whatever she's doing, it's engaging. She's got tons of journalistic experience, and it's great at interviewing people, famous or otherwise. What? I mean, have they paid you, Matt, for this drivel? I've never heard anything like it. He says, there's no doubting ITV will be delighted at having landed her. Well, unfortunately, Matt, whichever way you look at it, they're kind of stuck with the old bag, aren't they? They've paid so much for her, what are they going to do, admit defeat? No, 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 they can't do that. They're stuck with having paid the four... Having told us she was a million pound a year signing, thinking we'd be impressed by it. Of course, the whole country turned against her and people are switching off in their droves. Although he does say something very funny because now he's on... he's on 5 News. He says, don't get me wrong, I love doing the Daybreak News Hour, but I've now got my life back. What he's saying is Susanna Reid does not have a life (laughs) because he's got his life back. I mean, you know, they're hemorrhaging viewers. The programme is a disaster. And if you noticed, you cannot get the full team because they all take off a day each week. So you get the, um, whatever, isn't it? The bloke on it. Not the bloke who does the sport, who's ultimately boring. I don't know why they bother with sport. Nobody else bothers with sport anymore. Switch off, switch off, switch off. The programme is mainly female dominated. It's mainly women watching. It's not blokes. They're not remotely interested in in the so-called crumpet that Susanna Reid because she isn't crumpet anymore. She's sitting behind a desk. She looks like a muppet. She looks like she's been operated from behind. So you've got uh, you've got the bloke on there who does the game show. You've got the girl Charlotte Hawkins from Sky News, who's okay. You know she's good. She can she can read big words. You've got the NAF sports bloke, and then you've got Susanna Reid, and she only turns up I think uh, four days a week. She can't be bothered to do five. And then Charlotte Hawkins gets a day off, and then somebody else gets a day off, and and so you never get the whole team together. I think apart from a couple of days a week and uh, the rest of the time they're just taking the mickey out of you. It's your fault for watching it in the first place. It's not good. It's not good. Why it takes... I was watching it the other day, and I was saying to my producer, and we we were watching it, and I said, why does it take four people to do a news bulletin? So one does one and they go, Okay, your turn, Charlotte. Then Charlotte reads hers and then the then the drippy bloke who's looking really old and haggard at the moment who does the game show, he reads a story and then, then it's back to then it's back to Susanna Reed and she reads a story. And then sometimes we sometimes we all read a story together. And, and then it's the crap programme, which you know it is, and that's why it's hemorrhaging. There is no simple, hard and fast answer to what makes a successful programme. I mean, look at this one. Who would have ever thought, four o'clock in the morning, we'd have wiped the board with everybody? The audience figures for this programme, fantastic. What do you think I'm still doing it for? I mean, apart from the money, I'm not doing this for free, or, you know, chocolate bars or anything else like that. I'm doing it because, you know, we get paid for it. And the bigger the audience... The more money I get paid. Okay, so I'm not not saying in any way, shape or form that, you know, money is my total motivation. It is. You know, I'm not saying that I'm I'm only here because they pay me a lot of money and they send a car to pick me up. It is. You know, I'm not saying that I sit here because I really don't like laying into third-rate celebrities. I do. You know, I'm not saying that I'm a cruel, wicked, bitter, twisted person. I am. You know, but I love doing it. That's what it's about. If you don't like it, (laughs) on your bike. I couldn't care less. I love it when somebody writes in, I'm never listening to you ever again. What I think you're going to do, you're going to sort of burst into tears or something, you go, oh, please don't leave, please don't leave. I always go, oh, sod off, you're far too stupid. Go somewhere else. Don't you know, do colouring in or something like that. I'll tell you what I'm very bored with, Tony Beak. You know Tony Beak? You know Tony Beak, D. Yes, you do. You know Tony Beak? Of course, you know You know him. You know exactly who Tony... It's Anton DeBeck. It's his real name. His real name's Tony Beak. And um, he's, he's the sort of man who tucks his shirt in his pants. You know, he looks, he looks like that sort of person. Anyway, he was a bit disappointed he didn't get the Brucey job. I was campaigning for him never to work on television ever again because he's a bit too... He just doesn't... I don't know, there's something about him. Every time they actually put him on the Strictly Come Dancing programme, they put him with what I call the lame ducks. They put him with the oddballs. So he was teamed up with Anne Can't Do Anything Widdicombe. That's a little fat woman, used to be an MP, and uh, now turned up with a big wavery sort of voice on Antiqui sort of programme. Very bossy woman, small wonder she's never married, or in fact ever been out with a man, I shouldn't imagine. But uh, So he was partnered with her, then he got Jerry Hall, who spent most of her time just, uh, just sitting outside, because as a Texan model. <sighs> and she was smoking her fags outside, pictured all the papers. And then who did he get the last one? The Barking Mad, the Barking Mad Nancy Delusional. Yes, Nancy Delusional, who, you remember Nancy, don't you? You must remember Nancy. Come on. That old has-been, you know, because I lawyer and men find me irresistible. No, they don't, darling. They look at you as old and haggard. And she was going to do a one-woman show, and then she realised that, you know, I might have to do work, so I don't do work anymore. I just, you know, go to parties. And uh, and she was everywhere. Now, luckily, she's nowhere, so I'm quite pleased about that. But they always give Anton Dubeck those ones, so you can... Bet your bottom dollar, if it's a faded old has-been from somewhere who really gets up people's nose, they'll give it to Tony Beak. And, uh, and he can then sort of... I mean, and, and Widdicombe. I mean, I don't really know what was going on there. I felt a bit embarrassed for her that a woman of her age has to sort of do something like... And then she started doing pantomime. And you know how nasty she can be. She's not the most pleasant of people. You know, it's, a, it's all a little bit fake. Because you remember her with Louis Theroux on the programme, where Louis Theroux went round to the house. Because Anne Whittacomb loves the attention. She loves the publicity. She craves it. It's like a fire for her. Like a fire. And he went round to the house and he goes, um, uh, can we go upstairs and see your bedroom? No, you can't, she goes. She didn't want him to see the bedroom. I did. I was fascinated. What's she got in the bedroom that she didn't want him to see? What's she got up there? she got Men. She's got men hidden in the wall. You can open the wardrobe, There's going to be a few sort of corpses in there. I don't know. But anyway, she wasn't having anything to do with it. So they then go on a cruise. Anne Whittacombe is booked to do it. So she drags her mother along for the cruise. And Louis Threw sits down and starts talking to the mother. Unbeknownst to Anne Whittacombe, who comes Mother, I've told you, don't talk to him. And you think, but you're doing a documentary with him. What do you mean you're laying down the law? I remember one time she was doing the fat club. on the Because te- she'll do anything for money. You know, seriously, I mean, she will just, her agent and her answer don't go, she'll do it, because they're so so desperate. And they, uh, she was doing the Fat Club, and they said, uh, oh, I, what did they ask her to do? Put a T-shirt on or something. No, I won't, she said, because you can imagine they had to get the T-shirt specially made, and uh, there wasn't enough material in the department store, so they had to send abroad for it, and they thought they were making a small tent or a bivouac. And they said, no, no, it's actually a, a T-shirt for Anne Whittacombe, and so she wouldn't put it on. She didn't want to play ball with them at all. And uh, so that was that. Then she turned up in an antiques programme the other day. And again, it's sort of, she's so bossy. I've never known anybody so bossy. You think she's a, do you think there is a nice streak in there? I would like to think so. But uh, sadly, we don't see any evidence. She's just very bossy and people sort of pander to her. I be going, Oi, fat bird, sit down. Listen to what I'm telling you. Stop being pushy all the time. It's a wonder she's not an MP anymore. Other stories in the papers, apart from it's Dolly Day. Might as well be Dolly Day. They've all gone completely crackers over her. But the, the question does still rumble on. Was she live? Or was she Memorex? I find it... I'm, I'm, I'm in two minds over her. Somebody said, don't it be so ridiculous she's been singing live all her life. I'm, I'm quite sure. But she's obviously got some sort of special microphone. Because if you watch her, watch her singing, Coated Many Colours... At Glastonbury. And if you were there, I mean, you probably couldn't tell anyway, because let's face it, the Pet Shop Boys play and they just push a thing on the keyboard and it plays it by itself. It's all pre-recorded in there and he has to sing live along with it. But in the case of Dolly Parton, I mean, she wouldn't be miming, would she? Would, would that be ever... Po- How can you manage that? I don't know. At one time, the camera was behind her and I thought, go around go the front, I want to see her singing this bit. And the camera didn't, it remained at the back. Apparently, potatoes are falling out of favour. No, they're not. No, they're not. They say they've suffered a slump in popularity because people now prefer rice. No, they don't. They want potatoes. They want chips. What's the matter with it? People have gone mad, haven't they? All mad, I'm afraid. 4.30 is the time. There you go. Always, always guaranteed an argument at some point during the programme. 28 minutes to 5. Monday morning. Oh, I'm sorry to remind you. It's Monday, isn't it? Weekend's finished. OK, finished. Gone. Gone. You've got to go back to work. Got to get on the trains this morning. It's going to be really crowded, and there'll be somebody next to you who smells, and oh, it'll be horrible. And there'll be somebody sitting next to you trying to put their makeup on. There's always somebody, isn't there? Always somebody who sits on the train putting makeup, but they drive me mad. Drive me mad. You do that, D. Do Don't ever get on a train with me and start putting makeup on. I cause merry hell. It's like people on telephones. I was go, "Excuse me, this is a quiet carriage." I say in the loudest voice possible. I like to shame people. But, uh, but the makeup brigade. I mean, what I want to do once, I want to do like a hidden camera thing. Somebody starts doing their makeup. And I thought I'd then sort of take, take my shoes and socks on and start cutting my toenails in front of them on the seat. See? Equally disgusting. Equi- it's absolutely the same. It's, abs- it's part of, you know, it's part of making yourself look beautiful and you've got to make your feet look beautiful. Or failing that, stand up, take all your clothes off and have a portable shower, which you hook up to the top bar and you start running water. You're, la, 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 la. There's all these bubbles come out of it. I thought that'd be quite funny. See how people enjoy that bit. <laughs> Maggie says Putin speaks perfect English. No, he doesn't. He's got to have an interpreter there all the time. I think he just likes the bloke. I think he just likes him. It's one of those sort of things, isn't it? Uh, Kat says, school is brainwashing for the masses. Kids will learn more on holiday. No, they don't. They just learn how to sort of fleece their parents for ice creams. I mean, it's it's just ridiculous, isn't it? I've suddenly realised why the country's in the state it's in. Because if you look at the television, there's people on there presenting programmes who can't even speak English. They stumble through some sort of estuary English. We'll go, yeah, what? Yeah, like that. And then you think to yourself, nobody's actually going to sort of learn anything at the end of the day. Nobody seems to want an education. We went to the London Transport Museum yesterday, uh, which was very nice. Uh, always enjoy going there because you get a discount, if you remember, in the shop at 10%, a discount in the cafe. And you can go and clamber around trains and buses and stuff like that. And it's full of little kids and it's great because the kids absolutely love it. They're running around because they can't do any damage to themselves. And it's it's like, look, of course, I sit there thinking I remember most of these blooming things, with the exception of the horse-drawn vehicles. But I remember all the other ones. And it's it's lovely going there. So we enjoyed that. That was sort of a nice day out. And it's very educational. And then they they encouraged us to do a survey afterwards. You know, why did you come here? I said, well, because A, it's local, and B, it's educational, and B, I love London's history, so that's why. I would go to anybody else's transport museum around the country. And then I discovered a friend of mine knows a guy called McAlpine. And uh, the reason I mention him is because I was reading Country Life this week. And there's a feature on this bloke, McAlpine. And what has he got? He's got a country house in the country. He's got his own private railway. He's got a mile of railway track, full-size engines, and he's built original stations. He's got all original boxes and everything else. And as you go through, uh, he's got wallabies and he's got meerkats. He's got everything all sort of mingled in together. And I mentioned this to a friend of mine. He said, oh, I know him. Really? How do you know him? And he said, well, I know him through work at London Zoo. I said, yeah, he's, he's on the board there. I said, "Could we get an invite to the house so we can go on the railway? He said, I'll have a word. So I'm looking forward to that one. And then the other day, I was bemoaning the fact, again in Country Life, because I read it avidly. That's going to be my brother's Christmas present to me this year. He doesn't know it, but he's going to buy me a subscription. Because it's only cheap. It's only going to cost him, like, 36 quid, 54 pound. Whatever it is, it's going to be a cheap Christmas present. You know, it's better than the usual rubbish he buys me. He buys me, honestly, I don't know why. I end up with, I take home bagful. bag full. I've not even unpacked it from last year. Seriously, I've got bagfuls of stuff from him. And, and, and occasionally he'll, he'll completely lose his marbles and buy me a sweater or something, which never fits. It's never in my size or style at all. But anyway, so why was I mentioning that? Oh, yes, yeah, so, so Country Life. So I'm reading a bit about Paul's Pies. Paul's pies. And they said Paul makes these pies and he makes them on his kitchen table with his mother's recipe and he does a picnic pie which is I think chicken, ham and sausage and, and it sounded delicious because I love a pie. And he does steak and kidney pies and he does all these different pies and I thought wow this sounds really cool. And they said they sell them in Waitrose. So me being me trots down to Waitrose starts looking along the pie section I can't find, I can't find the pies So I say to a girl working in there, <coughs> I said, excuse me Paul's Pies? So she goes, um, no. I go, okay, right. Um I said, um, um it, it does say in Country Life that they sell them in here. Well, probably not in every branch. So I thought, okay, fine. Now, our branch in Twickenham is a big Waitrose, big, big Waitrose, about the size of a small Sainsbury's. And so I go to Richmond. Paul's Pies? No, sorry. And I'm thinking, where do I get these things from? So I, can, I don't... If you order from him... Because they're obviously online. You have to order ten minimum. Well, even me, with my capacity, I couldn't eat ten pies. So blow me down. I get a tweet the other day from Paul's Pies saying we hear you like our pies. We're going to send you some. (laughs) Big up me. Big up me. i got very excited by that. What with the Vosjean one day and now Paul's Pies. I tell you, life is looking good. I spoke to my bank manager the other day and she said, could you mention Rolls-Royce? I said, well, I've tried, but I don't think I'll be getting anywhere with that one at all. (laughs) <laughs> so it, all in all it was quite good so I could get the trip on the railway then I'm going to go to Bletching, uh, Bletchley Park probably in a couple of weeks it's about an hour and a half's drive and we're going to go and do that one where they cracked the code that that appeals to me a lot always try and find things to do on a Sunday just to get a bit of exercise but yesterday we were so tired and I said to a friend of mine as well I said um, every so often I like to get my, my computer cleaned up you know when people take them into shops but luckily I've got a friend who does it remotely so he has my password, and he cleans up loads of people's, computer. and he just goes through and cleans up all the rubbish and any of the spam and the stuff that, like that that you get that can slow the computer down. And so he did it yesterday. It took him three hours, three hours. When I came back, I dropped him off home, and it was going through uh, time, time remaining, another hour. And so when I woke up this morning, I, then, so I turned it off and turned it on again, and it's all very fast and whizzy, which I'm quite pleased about, quite pleased about. So that was quite good, and I just had to buy him six tins of tuna. Because he likes to, because he's vegetarian, he can't find stuff he likes to eat. And so we went to Costco and they do three, three tins of this special tuna, which is, you know, they've lovingly kissed it. I don't know what they've done with it. Anyway, special tuna. It didn't want to die or go in the tins, but they've made it. And, And tuna are huge. Have you seen them? They're like huge. Tuna are like massive. They're like, and the tins are so small. How do they cram it into that? There's so much profit in it. You know, a haul of tuna could be worth £10 million easily. It's, it's very, very valuable in the seas. And they corral them and then keep them there. And they just get fat in these huge nets. So I bought him six tins of this stuff. And he seemed quite happy with that. He seemed quite happy. And then, surprisingly, he bought me membership back at the... At the Transport Museum, which is good, isn't it? Uh, Mark says, Elton and David Furnish are in a civil partnership. I can't imagine as to how becoming married would change or improve as to how they feel. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm surprised it's lasted. He's not the easiest person. He really, he can. You saw his, his did you see the Tantrums and Tiaras programme? Where somebody looked at him and he threw down his racket and had the biggest queenie fit we've ever It was hilarious. Hilarious. But that was made by David Furnish. Apparently, was a filmmaker of sorts. And so he made this. And I just wondered if it was ever available, that on DVD. Because I'd love to watch it again. Because he was so. Perhaps as he's, he's got older, he's slowed down a bit, realizing that, you know, life is a bit. When, once you're into your, your mid 60s, it kind of slows down a bit, things. I, I mean, I think life whizzes through. I am of the opinion that when you wake up in the morning, you think. I mean, sometimes you sit there, you know, in front, I, mean, I, I sit there in front of the television having a shave and a cup of coffee. And, uh, and you think, oh, a bit tired today. Then you think, what are you talking about? You've got a great day today. You've got nothing to do. That's like, fr- that's holiday. I could go to the beach. I won't, but I mean, I could go to the beach. Tomorrow, of course, is, uh, is a very good day because I shall finish the programme. I shall probably go and have a, a light breakfast somewhere. And uh, then I've got Sunita to record for In Conversation. And then I've got a meeting with the publishers about the book. Okay, so we're doing that. Tomorrow, as well. in fact, I think we'll start writing it tomorrow. It's not what you think it is, by the way, instead of, just in case you're thinking it's an autobiography. It's not an autobiography. That would take years to do, and most of it would have to be passed by the lawyers. This is, this is a, a nice little book, which I'll tell you about more as we go through. And then and then Wednesday, nothing to do. Well, I'm coming in here, but, I mean, it's not exactly tough, is it? I want to drive a bus. Do you think I could drive a bus part-time? I quite fancy driving a bus. Um, and do you know what I want to do? I want to see people standing at the bus stop holding their hand out, and I want to drive straight past... I want to go straight past I haven't seen you. I, I, I deliberately would look the other way. And wait for you to get... Uh, or failing that, you watch somebody running for the And then just as they get there, you put your foot down and they miss it completely. I think bus drivers are, are trained to do that, aren't they? I always develop a limp because then they feel sorry because they think I'm disabled. So they feel sorry for me. I mean, I do have a disability, but uh, it's not in my legs. Although, to be honest with you, the amount of shoes I'm getting through at the moment, you'd think it was. I'm I'm running out of shoes. I need to get some more shoes. And I went out yesterday, and I couldn't find any shoes. And I'm going to try and get the white shirts today, so I shall sort that out. John says, Dolly Parton, in my mind, no more mimed her songs than the day when you came into the LBC studio and entertained listeners by playing your banjo. Yes, Okay. (laughs) I might leave that at that that one there, I think. So much easier. Chris says, what's the weather this week? I don't know. Look out the window. It's like that. That's what it is. It's, It's dark. Dark. If you're on, you know, Isle, you know, the Isle of Stornoway or something like that, it's very, very dark. But uh, I'd love that. They did a thing the other day. Where was it? Was it in Iceland? Iceland. And, and they, because they have so much darkness, when they eventually get round to having the light again, they go and sing songs to it. Oh, nice. They, sing, they all stood on the edge of this sort of, I'm to push them off, and they were all standing on the edge of this cliff singing about, you know, the sunshine is coming back into our lives again. And I thought, what simple lives... It's very pagan, isn't it? Very pagan to do things like that. And then I watched a documentary. I don't think I went out at all this weekend, and, and I watched a documentary about people who live in the tundra on their camels, and they don't have anything. They have nothing. They they have to sort of drill down for about what did he do? Six meters, I think. Six seven meters to find a bit of water, and then they sort of do that for irrigating the crops. They're in the middle of the desert. They've got nothing at all. I mean, and all I kept thinking was when I was watching these people talking. Part of them got no, no teeth. I kept thinking, Do you know, they've never had a chocolate milkshake from McDonald's. They've never known the delights of a Big Mac or a bacon sandwich. They don't know anything like that at all. And I thought, isn't that odd? Things that we take for granted every day, like waking up and turning a tap and water comes out. When we came back from Hong Kong back in the whatever year it was, and um, and we we couldn't just turn on the tap and drink the water. We had to boil the water in Hong Kong. I mean, now, of course, things have changed a bit. It was back in the dark ages. And so when we came back to this country, I was quite surprised that you could turn the tap on, put a cup underneath and drink the water. Because we, we'd never had that before. We used to have to put the water into a into a saucepan or a kettle and boil it to make it pure. Seems old, doesn't it, really? All the things that you take for granted. You take for granted the fact that you've, you, know, you, you get on a bus. A bus says it will be there at 6.27, and 6.27, there's the bus. Or if it's me, 6.24 and you don't tell anybody. That's why, you know, everything that we take for granted, people in other parts of the world, they've got no idea what we do. They've never tasted chips. They've never tasted McDonald's. Probably just as well, I should imagine. And they've, never, they've never probably tasted fish and chips. There's all sorts of things. Every morning you wake up, you have a piece of toast. You know, but you put it in a toast. You take the toaster for granted. You take for granted the fact that everybody must have a toaster. No. Loads of people haven't got toasters. You know, they've never had butter. They've never had marmalade. They don't know the delights of cocoa pops or sugar puffs. Everything that you take for granted. All the things that you sort of... You just open the cupboard and there's a tin of beans. They've probably never seen a tin. Everything they have, they grow. They grow it or they they feed it and then they kill it and then they eat it. It's as simple as that. That's how their life is. And they seem to be perfectly happy. Many of them. Because they're working for it. One of the men who drilled the hole, He after he'd actually... Get, he'd made a little oasis in the middle of the desert with his palm trees and everything else, which attracted all sorts of wildlife. And he said, he said, it makes me so happy to see the animals coming down to drink the water that I've managed to get from deep down in the desert because nobody's ever dug it up before. And I thought, do you know, simple values. A simple bit like this programme, very simple. Quarter to five. Steve Allen on LBC. Here's Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. 4.47. Sounds very precise, doesn't it? 4.47. Just in case you're catching a train at five and you're still in bed. You're not going to make it, Okay, You're going to be very late today. But it's Monday. It doesn't matter. You can afford to put your... I will tell you what the weather is in a moment. It's only because I'm looking out the window and it doesn't look too promising, but... Things can change. Don't forget you can follow me on Twitter at Steve Allen Show, and I'm verified at Steve Allen Show. Uh, Steve, we dug up our first Charlotte Spuds of the Year yesterday. Superb. Potatoes not out of fashion in my house. And Malcolm says Ben Shepherd on uh, Goodbye Britain always looks as though he's about to doze off. Yes, I think he's, he's just like that, isn't he? Just. <laughs> Mind you, to be honest with you, I'm many of the time I've dozed off through it. Uh, Paul says, I always called the ITV breakfast show the Fluff Channel. It still is, even though I must have been the only one to like Susanna Reid. BBC breakfast, still the best for me. No, 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 LBC breakfast, still the best. Absolutely still the best. And uh, it doesn't matter what we look like. We don't need to dress up for you first thing in the morning, although I might do it one day. I'd like to sit here in a dinner jacket, I think, but uh, on second thoughts, maybe not. Uh, on the subject of uh, of uh, of schooling, the children will be a reflection of the parents. The fact that you need to have laws in regard to children attending school or being excused from attending shows the ignorance of the average parent. As you say, find the parents some crayons and put them in a corner. If they can't understand, their children will end up as stupid as them without the much-needed schooling. But there again, I mean, these are low-life people, aren't they? They don't, they don't understand what schooling is. They've got no idea. Because they probably never bothered with it themselves, and that's why they're in the state. You don't seriously think that, uh, that Josie Cunningham, on the front of the paper, ever had an education... You seriously don't believe that, do you? I certainly don't believe it. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, the woman's a nincompoop. But then, of course, we had uh, White D in the paper as well, didn't we? She's had her five seconds of fame and now it's all finished. The only person who's making anything out of it is her leech of an agent. I call him a leech because he appears to be there going, oh, it's but life has been dreadful for her. Yeah, we don't see any evidence of this uh, depression. In fact, every picture I've ever seen of her, she's just having a whale of a time because she's taking the mickey out of her. But I think it could all be about to change. I think they, they could be looking at, um, you know, it's, it's sort of, uh, it's, let's face it, I think her days are numbered. Uh, the John Bishop story, day two of another boring professional northerner, I'm afraid. There is a belief, this is what he said, there is a belief in this country that posh people will let you into their club if you talk, think and dress like them. I hate that. This is a man who minted, how much did you get, John? How much did you make last year? How many millions was it? Champagne socialist. Nothing worse, is there? And then, of course, they have to write their dreary life story, like, you know, oh, professional working class people. I'm so bored with that. The professional working classes, you know, all the time minting it. Minting it. And so his book's out in paperback. And he's, uh, you can go on tour. You, you can go and line his pockets even further with him pretending to be a professional northerner. But really, he wants to elevate himself. He wants to move into sort of the posh world, doesn't it? He wants to be accepted. It's like Sheryl Cole. But you know damn well she can't hold her own in any conversation at all. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Karen says, I- I'm always delighted with the comeback you give to these people who text you with horrible comments about the way you put... No, only one. Only one. It's the same person. It's not. There's, there's never any more than one. And they also write to me and they write to loads of other people. If you actually check people's history when they write in, I can see exactly what they've written to everybody. And, in fact, once I've accessed their computer, which is always very popular, uh, you could discover that they just sit at their lonelies. They are lon—they can't help it. It's not their fault they don't have any friends. And they don't like other people to be happy. And of course, I thrive on their misery. I, you know, I absolutely thrive on other people's misery. I love it. I absolutely love it. Because I always think to, to myself, if you don't like something, try and be an adult and sort of go and find something else to do, like colouring in or something like that, or go and have a word with your probation officer. I don't really see any purpose of somebody... Christo was sort of doing gay pride over the weekend and uh, he was sort of coming in for a barrage of abuse from sort of people going, you know, it says in the Bible. And you think to yourself, you know, there's none as unforgiving as the so-called Christian Brigade. And they turn out they don't go to church, they don't actually do anything at all. They just think they're being terribly clever, but they're not really. They come over as terribly ignorant and, you know, he he revels in that. Christo loves it. The more of that, the better. It it fires him up, actually, because he laughs at them. And uh, same as everybody else does. Oh, by the way, if you're going to Scotland, going to Scotland today, anybody in Scotland listening? You know that your new law comes in today, don't you? Uh, and this is the drink drive limit. They're slashing it. So in other words, you know, you can cross over the border and immediately you are in different territory. After the plan changes are brought in, drinking a pint of beer or a large glass of wine would probably be enough to put you over the limit north of the border. I only say that because lots of people will get caught by it. They've decided to change. And it will now be one pint, one pint which will put you over the limit. Either a pint or a glass of wine. In other words, what they're saying is zero tolerance. And they've done that as well in other countries. Other countries, zero tolerance. In other words, you have one drink, go behind the wheel... We're going to lock you up. It always amazes me. You see people, I love, as I say, I'm fascinated by the police camera action programmes. I love stuff like that. And they, and they stop something. and they go, um, OK, is, is it your car? And they've always only just acquired it about two weeks ago, which is hilarious. And and then they go, and uh, have you had a drink? Uh, I had a pint about a few hours ago. And they go, OK, I was like, just get out of the car. Me, I'd have Adam cuffed immediately and straight to the ground. No messing around with these people. Because they sit there, the police have to put up with all this abuse from these people. And then, of course, once they see the camera is on them, they then sort of say, uh, what's that on? And they go, it's nothing to do with you, it's filming me. okay? But of course, they are filming them. And uh, some of them, we see their faces. And they're just stupid people. They are so stupid. You know, they're either driving cars with no insurance or no tax or no MOT or the car just is not roadworthy or failing that. They've stolen it and they're either on drugs, they're either on cannabis and they find, do you have have any drugs on you? Yeah. OK, what have you got? And then they found a 16-year-old the other day driving a car. He doesn't have a licence. He's another one of a limited intelligence brigade. As I say, probably like his parents, because when they go home, the parents don't do anything about it. Parents come out and give the police a big mouthful of rude words. And you think, do you know, it's at times like that you wish the police had a magic gun, that they just aimed at somebody and the person vanished before them, like something out of Star Trek. You know, I'm sorry, you're really boring. Zzz, gone. Look at that, fantastic. We can annihilate a whole street. We could actually put it back into the hands of decent people as opposed to sort of third-rate chavs who can't have any command of the English language and women. There was a woman the other day, and I don't know if it was a Geordie Shore programme or it might have been something similar to that, but she was... 18, I think. She was... I think she was 18. Anyway, all she wanted to do was go out and get blathered. That's all she wanted to do. That was her... And also, to say it in front of the cameras, it makes you look a bit stupid. It's a bit like Josie Cunningham, who the sun are obviously cultivating. Otherwise, why would she have taken her clothes off? They've obviously paid for a photo session with her. Say, would you like to take all your kit off? To be honest with you, I felt physically ill and very queasy when I saw the picture. And I should imagine there'd be a lot of straight men turning gay by the time you've actually picked up a copy of The Sun this morning. And so you see all these people and they give them coverage... You know, and to give them coverage makes them even more, you know, annoying to certain sections of the community. But I, I think the idea of the little gun which you aim at somebody and they vanish before your eyes—I think is a, perhaps they could develop that. Would be a nice idea, wouldn't it? So, so just going back briefly, uh, I think you have to be very careful. If you're in Scotland, do not drink and drive. Or failing that, if you drink and drive, don't breathe. Um, who's this? This is the three a.m. at Glastonbury where they've sort of. Um, seen all sorts of... My favourite story from at Glastonbury is one we did the other day, when Alexa Chung, whoever she is, was walking through somewhere and the security guard challenged her, ''Who are you?'' So she went, ''Who are you?'' And I, I still don't know who she is. Is she, is she something famous, Steve? Is she? Oh, she's an it girl. Oh, right, oh, she's an it girl. <laughs> Whatever, an it... Is that the same as a twit girl? Is it one of those ones? She just sort of wanders through and people go, ''Who's that?'' And they go, ''Oh, it's Alexa Chung.'' And you go, ''Who is she?'' Oh, nobody knows. I do watch these programs on the telly. I love I love programs on the telly. I love anyway. So sorry. So it's this girl, and so she's going out and she tries to get into a club and they don't want her to go in there. The bu- the, uh, the the bouncers on the door because they they hold the, the, the magic key, don't they? They didn't want her in there. So she then starts rounding up. She, I'm going to go out and batter him. And I thought, are you particularly thick? And the more I looked, and she was quite, 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 quite junky. I mean, she certainly wasn't a small size, put it that way. She'd obviously been eating at the kebabs and having too many beers and stuff like that. So she's got a cigarette going and, uh, and they won't let her into the club. But then, then the guy she was with went, but they're all over 40 in there. You're not going to pull anybody in this club. I thought, is that what people do nowadays? It was In my day, you know, we sort of went out there and we just went out for a dance. And in fact, I don't even think we bothered getting drunk. Nobody had any money. Nowadays, they seem to have loads of money. On, on the old benefit, and they just spend it all on booze. That's the whole idea, isn't it? They just want to get completely blown away, and they think they've had a good night. But they don't obviously have day jobs. You know, you couldn't do this job if you went out and got completely tiddled of a night time, and then sort of staggered in here the next. I just can't do it. I've not got the energy to start with. So, uh, so that was my advice. If you want to hold down a job and you want to actually make something of yourself, you've got to apply yourself. So, uh, so when I looked at all the people at Glastonbury, it's the same old, same old. You know. Some some old Radio One DJs. I didn't even know it was still going. Apparently, it is appealing to nobody in London, unfortunately. And uh, Michael Evis was there, and uh, they've already got the. He's 78, 78 now, but they think they've got the lineup for next year already. How they're going to top Dolly Parton? I've got no idea. Um, Elton John, he's bagged himself an invite for next year. Asked if he would ever play the famous festival, he said, "Well, I've never been asked." Ugh. Do so you think there's a reason for that? Do you think the demands are a bit too much? Apparently, somebody told me they get about £200,000 for appearing if you're sort of headline. It's not bad, is it? Dolly but, I mean, why, why would Dolly Parton worry about £200,000? I'm sure she doesn't need it. Wouldn't you love to see her bank account? If I worked in a bank, I'd be going through the accounts like this. Tomorrow! I'd be finding how much people have got in there. I'd be going, wait a minute, Victoria Beckham. Look at this! Look at this! £13, three and threepence apenny You know, that's, that's in her savings account. I'd love to know what people have got in their account. I would love to know how much liquid cash people have got. And I go back to that same old question when they say, oh, you know, um, you've got Jordan, she's worth 35 to £40 million. I don't think she is. I really don't. I think it's overhyped, old thing. Because the poor old soul's having to do deal or no deal. And she doesn't get picked, she just has to stand there with her box open. And uh, so she's going to be going on, on the television just as a fee you know, 200 quid or whatever it happens to be, and you you think she's just going to be standing there bored out of her mind because she won't she won't understand what the game is. But luckily for her, it's fairly simple. It's just, OK, Jordan, open your box. Uh, and that's it. And then she, she won't know what to do. And then she'll just sort of stand there staring into the distance. But she'll have as much makeup troweled on her as the entire company of Deal or No Deal. But I don't think she's got 35 or 40 million. I don't understand how she could ever have 35 or 40 million. I really don't. I really don't. She's never written anything. Never designed anything. Has anything been a success? Most of her stuff fails. And she had books out, yeah. But you don't make a huge amount from books. You really don't. I know. Um, so we- we'll have to watch that one with with great interest. Oh look, it's a minute to five. Teddy, more to come on your uh, second. Your first. Early morning breakfast show of the week. Things it's only month in front of which the time away now. Lisa Raziz is here at six thirty with the morning news. Glastonbury's organizer Michael Evis says the last ever festival could be in twenty twenty. I don't think he'll live that long. As I say, seventy eight now, and he reckons that he's actually got the acts in for next year. There is still much talk, I'm afraid, in the papers of Dolly Parton live or Memorex. I'm erring on the side of caution and saying it was live. I hope. Living costs in the UK said to have risen three times faster than wage increases over the last six years. And certain supermarkets now sell beer cheaper than the water. It's LBC. I'm Steve Allen. It's all next. Morning, everybody. Apparently, Postman got bit 3,300 times last year by dogs. Number Christo telling that story helped that woman who'd collapsed outside a supermarket and then her dog bit him. And she had, uh, she had to go to hospital, poor soul. Uh, also, the hunt for the poison pen letter writer behind ten years of terror in a little tiny village. It's like something out of Midsummer Murders, a Georgian market town of Holt. For ten years now, poison pen letters. Not the first time something's happened. And the Muslim group's fury over the sacred symbol in the Jagger Girls perfume ad. Oh, some people, they really need to get a life. It just goes on and on and on. And, uh, and they father in court a test ban on term-time holidays. The rebel parents who face jail. All of that and more on LBC. It's interesting, isn't it? When you actually, you know, if if you are a postman, and, uh, to be honest with you, they're out there, come rain, come shine. Some of them them push their stuff on a bicycle, some have got little vans, some have got little tricycle-type things, a bit like... You know, the ice cream things have years gone by. And now, more and more people... I mean, to be honest with you, I would say that if somebody's got a dog that barks like that... I'd, if I was a postman, I'm sorry, I'd just throw it in the garden and sort it out yourself. Why would you want to go there and risk being bitten by some dog? I don't think postmen are paid enough for something like that. Ahead of legislation making it possible to prosecute dog owners for attacks... Oh, that'll be a bit of a first, won't it, in this country? I mean, every day, nine postmen and women are attacked by dogs... Again, these are lowlifes. These are people who never got an education. A bit, they've got no control over their children, let alone their animals. And so what they've said now is uh, they appeal to owners to keep their pets under control, especially if they know their pets have a territorial nature. Well, I'm sorry, I think postmen and women should revolt over this one. I'm, I'm backing them to the hilt on this. You know, you've, you've got sort of a neighbourhood where there's a dangerous dog throws itself at the door, no, I'm sorry, you come and collect your own post, simple as that, they're under, you know, why would you, you're not paid enough to be attacked by people and their dogs, you're really not, you're really not. So the hunt for the poison pen letter writer, this is a great story, I love things like this, because it is like a it, but this one's gone on for ten years, and so far they've not found the person. Elderly residents of this Georgian market town of Holt, it's very pretty have been terrorised by poison pen letters dropping onto their doormats. The chilling letters, which are handwritten and filled with profanities, contain threats for them to leave their homes. So it's obviously somebody who's got a mental illness. Somebody who writes with profanities in, in a letter, they've generally got a sort of mental illness. Fifteen have been posted in the Norfolk town with no clue as to who is responsible or why. Now, that, to me, this signifies somebody from outside the town. Outside the town. I remember years ago there was a story, I can't, uh, I I, I can tell you about it actually. And it was from somebody who uh, wrote in to to a radio station, not this one actually, to a radio station, all postmark Luton, all postmark Luton. And so what the police did was, and it was the same postbox, which was a bit, bit of a mistake, because the police just mounted a surveillance and they found the person. And it was an elderly person who just wrote profanity to this radio set because they didn't like something that was going on on there whatever and it went on for ages and in the end the uh, the police arrested them they were taken to court and they went went to prison which of course is the best thing but this one's gone for 10 years and so far nobody's managed to find the person one extract released by the police that uh, they say they all appear to have been written by the same person i mean To be honest with you, that's just sheer naivety on behalf of the police because you go to a graphologist and you say to them, are these all written by the same person? The graphologist goes, yes, because of this, the the why is the same or something like that. Uh, One extract released by the police reads, the longer you leave it, the sooner you will have to vacate the property. But anyway, they've now offered the local newspaper, after ten years, a bit slow and backward, a £1,000 reward for information. Fifty people responded and police have questioned a local man. One resident who asked not to be named said, whoever is behind it, I hope it ends soon, it's a nasty business and completely out of place in Holt. They're written in blue ink. Distinctive, unusually scripted peas appear to have started dropping onto doormats about ten years ago. See, what the paper should do is show us an extract, because somebody reading the paper will recognise the writing and go... That's how it used to be. Before we had internet emails and before we had tweets and Twittering and Facebook and things like that, people had to write letters. People had to write. So if they didn't like a particular presenter or a particular person on the telephone, they wrote the letter and you started spotting and they always write in strange colour ink. Strange colour ink. I mean, it's, it's, it's generally an illness that they, they've got. Uh, one unfortunate household received two of these. According to police, the personal nature of the letter indicates the author knows who they're writing to. Paul Reed who runs the butchers on the high street, said, my wife's grandparents have been receiving them. They were telling them to get out of their house and they were quite horrible. They ignored them at first, but as they kept coming, they said, we should speak to the police. You go to the police immediately. Immediately you get anything like this. Somebody writes anything to you, somebody says something to you, you go to the police. You can get them questioned. It's, it's an easy matter, believe you me. Uh, the postman Ben Trent revealed he had been approached by Norfolk police to make use of his local knowledge, but was unable to help. I don't recognise the writing, but handwritten letters are rare these days, he said. I said they're very rare. Eric Rees, a handwriting expert with the British Institute of Graphologists, provided a profile of the suspect, saying the person is highly introverted with signs of paranoia and has pent-up emotions with difficulty in expressing himself. Yeah, generally a mental illness. You know, somebody who's going to write profanities in a, in a letter... Generally speaking, they're not the full shilling, are they? Sending threatening letters now carries a £5,000 fine and a six-month jail term. I think I want to be a judge. Ten years. Ten years, you'll learn your lesson. But I could die in prison. Well, then, so be it. So be it. Because it comes under the Malicious Communications Act. Anything that is deemed malicious or offensive... You, you you take them to court. It's as simple as that. There's no, there's no messing around with it. The police are, police are well-versed, and they can go round and they can interview these people. And you generally find out they have one or two screws loose. They're not all there in the upstairs department, I'm afraid. 84850, Steve at lbc.co.uk. Amanda says you should freeze the pies. They're not Paul Hollywood, dear. It's not Paul Hollywood. It's just Paul's pies. We wouldn't buy anything from Paul Hollywood, I'm afraid. I can't bear Paul Hollywood. Absolutely can't buy I can't bear him. Uh, 84850, I enjoyed in conversation with Don Johnson, but disappointed because I desperately wanted to know if he has any plans to go back to his singing career. Uh, He isn't, going back to his singing career. (laughs) 84850, Colin in Stockport. Yes, I'm I'm glad the irony wasn't lost on you. And uh, Pippa says, yesterday went to Brighton to see Ronnie Corbett open his daughter's new boutique called Four Candles. I managed to speak with him. And said how much I enjoyed this interview with him. He said, uh, what, a, "What a lovely man." Yes, they're all saying that recently. It's like slight, slightly worrying, slightly worrying. Um, another one here. It says, uh, "If I had Dolly's hair, I'd you'd use vosine, vosine, Vozine, vosine." Actually, well, if if anybody had her hair, because when she goes off stage, she just takes it off and sticks it on a wig stand. Poor soul. <laughs> uh, Dean had a pigeon down his chimney the other day. Good Lord do you have a thing on the top of it. Everybody now has got stacks on top of the chimneys to actually make sure that birds don't fall down there. Because when they fall down, they do bring the soot down. And because they panic in the rooms, the mess is unbelievable, unbelievable. We had one once, and uh, we had to sort of cover up the back... It, because it was... It fell down the chimney. Luckily, the fire wasn't lit at the time. But we had um, a park ray in front of it, which was like a sort of a... Um, a fire thing, you open up the glass door at the front So we could hear the bird flapping about at the back We couldn't actually get it out And then eventually it stopped flapping I, don't, I know, I know, I know What can I tell you, what can I tell you? murderer, murderer <laughs> we Certainly wasn't going to be demolishing the blooming house anytime soon Put it that way uh, This is the story Nick Ferrari's going to do today on the programme The wealthy banker being prosecuted in a test case Against Michael Gove's ban for taking children out of school in term James Haymore took his three children to America to attend a memorial service for their great-great-grandfather. I mean, do us a favour. He refused to pay a fine for his local council and will appear in court, where he now faces a £2,500 fine and a jail term. The account manager from J.P. Morgan, who moved to Britain from America four years ago, says the decision breaches the Human Rights Act. Well, I tell you what, if I was a school, you educate the kids. You educate them. So much easier, isn't it? And so he's now collected a 200,000 signature petition against rules imposed. Mr Haymore said he was baffled by the signal of the head teacher at the school in Chelmsford to block the six-day trip for Toby 11, but not his siblings. The school said Toby, who'd been ill and had days off to attend grammar school open days, had a poor attendance record. Mr Haymore pointed out, oh, God, there's nothing worse, is there? um, Sometimes you just want to bang people's head against walls. Our eldest son is academically the star pupil of his class. Yes. One member of staff was amazed that they were being fined. She said if any of the students could miss a week without it affecting his education, it was him. We are good people. I've never even been to court before. Well, it'll be a first for you then. It'll be a first. But the the, the trouble is there are rules. There are rules. I mean, each parent who ignores the ban faces a £120 fine for each child or £50 if paid within 28 days. However, if it goes to court, there is uh, danger you could go to prison and a £2,500 fine, and the move was intended to stop families damaging their children's education. What amazes me in all of this, and not this particular case, but all of them, do you then think that, you know, because the parents are, well, we're not paying that, that's how the kids now start thinking, we're not paying that, What's it to do with us? Our daddy says we don't have to go to school. You know, our daddy says this, our mummy says that. And after a while you start thinking, well, I tell you what, don't go to school then, don't go to school. You know, I mean, I, I'd say, you better go and find another school, we don't want you at this one. It's just, it's just pathetic, it really is absolutely pathetic. You're either, you know, to actually go to America, to be honest with you, to a memorial service for their great-great-grandfather is just nothing short of codswallop. Absolute codswallop. You know, you don't need to do it. What you're doing is you're pushing a point. Everybody understands that. But at the end of the day, let's see what the courts say, shall we? Let's see what the, what the courts say on it. Let's just, you know, I'm sure Nick Ferrari will have a field day on this one. It's a test case. And uh, what they want to do is approve absences in exceptional circumstances. I don't call going to a memorial service or a great-great-grandfather an exceptional circumstance. Going to a funeral, I can understand. But there again, you don't want kids going to funerals, do they? Because they don't know what it is. What's the point? But it will be interesting, and we shall we shall watch and wait. I love the story. Um, they've done this one before. This is a, a £50,000 designer kitchen. This is a cheap kitchen. Now, I can tell you £50,000 for a designer kitchen is cheap, because I've known people, or of people, who can spend upwards of £300,000 on a kitchen. I mean, to me, it seems like an absolute horrendous waste of money. But, uh, but they've got here uh, Kate. Uh, she didn't like it. Uh, they've already got another kitchen, and so they, they wanted something else. They've got, you know, a five-oven arger. How much is a five-oven arger? £11,500. OK. Um, a draining board, £275. Dresses and cupboards, £10,000 plus. So when you see kitchens advertised in the magazines, and they say you can get all of this here, including the oven and all the rest of it, for £2,300, it's flat pack. If it's flat pack, it means you've got to put the blooming thing together and it's cheap little horrible stuff and all the rest of it. If you're spending decent money, all these cabinets here for £11,000 will come in assembled. They're made in workshop. If you go to Smallbone, for example, one of many, many designer kitchens, or Clive, or whatever his name is, uh, they, uh, they, all this stuff is made and they come round and they measure, and you can spend thousands on a kitchen. I mean, for example, they've got an Arga fridge. £8,500 for an Arga fridge. Well, I know you can get fridges much cheaper than that. But this one here has got a built-in ice maker. Oh, big deal. Controlled by a digital system programmable in five languages. What use is that to you? Obviously, presumably, the only language you want is the one that you speak. Walnut flooring. Full stave walnut worktops. How much is this? Black walnut wood from the Appalachian Mountains. £17,000. You can understand why this kitchen comes in at, at £50,000. Oh, and also, you've got uh, Express Coffee Maker, 500 KitchenAid Artisan Coffee Grinder, 150 and a Belfast sink with bridge tacks, uh, taps, £850. Pounds. I'm obviously living in the wrong world. It's quarter past five. Nick on team with you at seven as the first legal challenge is mounted against Michael Gove's truancy fines. Nick will be asking, is anyone behind these charges? Plus is Prince Charles right about grammar schools, and is it a good thing that from tomorrow workers can request flexible hours? Looking at the paper today, John Craig, chief political correspondent for Sky News, will be live in the studio with Nick Ferrari. Uh, Neil says, Lorraine and I pumped up the volume on our surround sound to watch the great Dolly Parton at Glastonbury. She was brilliant, but dare I say, note perfect. Yes, it's, this, this is raging through all the papers this morning. Much as though I adore Dolly Parton, as you can well imagine, she's got front coverage of every newspaper. You know, everything, with the exception of The Sun, actually. Uh, But they do talk about her inside. And uh, they're they're, they're questioning, was she singing live all the way through? Her people have said, don't be silly, it's Dolly Parton. Of course she was singing live. But it's just that you listen to some of it and it's... You think, I don't know, is that live or is that Memorex? Is she actually playing those instruments? Or is that just kind of pretend? We shall find out, I'm sure. Uh, Love the photo sitting in the train carriage. And, yes, I liked the Hawaiian shirt. Yes, I liked it too. That's why I wore it. I wouldn't wear it if I didn't like it. I, n- I never put clothes on. Uh, don't you know that here on the Isle of Stornoway we have virtually 24 hours of daylight at this time of the year. The cat was wet when it came in, so it must be raining. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Donald. Where's your trousers? Let the wind blow high and the wind blow. Anyway, uh, moving on to some more of your uh, texts and emails. 84850steve at lbc.co.uk. We shall weave uh, everything in... ...on the programme. Uh, There's a story about Emma Watson in the paper today. She's now facing claims, poor soul, that uh, her US maid has been working illegally at her London home. The Home Office are now investigating allegations that the housekeeper had only a tourist visa which would bar her as a foreigner from working here. The woman was stopped as she entered Britain by immigration staff who questioned how she could pay for her stay here. Employers who breach the rules can face a fine of up to £10,000. Miss Watson... Uh, star of Harry Potter, first started using the maid service in her New York apartment last year. But the woman, whose nationality has not been revealed, allegedly made trips to London and was paid to help out at the actress's Georgian Terrace house. Between last September and February this year, she's said to have spent a total of three months in Britain. It was on one of these trips that border agency staff allegedly questioned her about her ability to pay for her stay. So that's an odd one. Although strangely, at the end of it, the Home Office declined to comment and Miss Watson's spokesman didn't respond to requests for comment. Apparently, records showed that the cleaner received at least 2000 from Mr Harper's Westminster expenses before second home allowances were tightened up. Because this is, the, uh, this is a separate one. This is uh, Mr Cameron's former Immigration Minister, Mark Harper, who resigned early this year when it uh, emerged in the papers his Colombian cleaner was in the country unlawfully. And there must be loads of people like that, mustn't there? There must be loads of people working ho- over here as, as cleaners. That that would be the sort of thing. People would come in here, they work as cleaners or they arrive at, as, uh, as students and then they just sort of disappear in some of these fake colleges, which seem to be all over the place. Uh, you just made me feel a lot better. My kitchen pre-assembled was over 10,000 and I thought I'd been ripped off, says Malcolm. Obviously not. No, no, obviously not. Definitely not. I mean, you seem to get quite a bargain. People spend a fortune on kitchens, don't they? That's why I, I love looking around these houses when you do the house programmes on the television. I think, that looks quite nice. Uh, heat wave. By the time we get to the 4th of July, and we're heading that way, we're now at the 30th of June. Do you know, it's, we're into July, ladies and gentlemen. 30 days, that's April, June. So we've got one more day to go this month, and then we're into the 1st of July. They reckon by the 4th of July, a heat wave in 86 degrees. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Uh, Prince Harry's still doing his charity work. Does he actually have a job now, or is he? Is this? Are they sort of taking him away from that? I don't know. I can't quite work out where they sort of they stick him on things here. And he was looking at a, a disabled centre the other day. He's on the Chile stage of his South American tour. So, um, and I, I don't do think they, they have the faintest idea who he is. They, I mean, it's just a photo opportunity. Do you really think in Chile, these uh, these kids in these places have got any idea who he is? Uh, Nigella was partying the other day with Graham Norton. That's an unlikely combination, isn't it? She must be due to appear as a guest, or perhaps she's been a guest on the programme. And uh, experts claim that winning back-to-back Wimbledon tennis titles is a tall order. And indeed, if Andy Murray is serious about repeating last year's heroics, he'll have to conquer a six-foot-eight-inch giant known as the Buzzsaw. Have you noticed they give them all these nicknames? The Buzzsaw, just because he's six six foot. Eight inches tall. That is heck of tall. And uh, the good news is the hate preacher, whose teachings inspired one of Lee Rigby's killers, has been warned, don't try and seek asylum in Britain. This is Omar Bakri Mohammed, is being tortured, apparently, in Syria. I hate to hold my hands up yet again and go, really, not my problem. Not my problem at all. We don't want him back here. And uh, he wants to come here, presumably. And his family go, he should be allowed to come here. He's lived here 20 years. No, we don't want him, I'm afraid. He can stay out, and if you don't like it, you can go with him as well. And that would suit everybody very well. I'm sick to death of people who sort of absolutely pull this country apart, and then uh, and then expect to sort of sit back on benefits. There's far too many of these people. What's the taste you relish the most? And of course, at this time of the morning, you're probably getting round to uh, to breakfast. There are certain tastes which you like. The top ten brands in this country. I've always said most of them must belong to Heinz, that they are Birds Birdseye or somebody like that. It's got to be one of the big companies. We've always said before that nothing tastes like Heinz tomato soup. Nothing tastes like Heinz salad cream. Nothing tastes... Oh, that's making my mouth water. Nothing tastes like um, HP sauce. Nothing tastes like Marmite. Thank God for many of you because you hate it. Uh, number ten, Lurpak butter. i defy anybody to try and identify Lurpak butter. So in other words, if you were doing a, a taste test with with crack, could you tell Lurpak butter? I don't think I can. No, D definitely. Could, well, i mean, no. Why am I not surprised? Um, could you taste Heinz salad cream? Would you know it was Heinz salad cream as opposed to some? No, it's not looking good, is it? Um, Schweppes drinks? Would you would, would you taste Schweppes? No, not those either. Probably no. Um, Cadbury's Dairy Milk chocolate. Yeah, you could do that one. Okay, and you but you could definitely identify Cadbury's Dairy Milk chocolate. Oh, really? As opposed to... Oh, right, 100% on that one. Ben and Jerry's ice cream? No, see, I wouldn't know. It's just ice cream is ice cream. I wouldn't know the, the difference. Jaffa cakes? Yeah, you'd know Jaffa cakes, wouldn't you? Yeah. Definitely Jaffa cakes? No, none of the rest t- t- tastes the same. Ribena? Yeah, you see, ri- ribena tastes like ribena. T- I don't know why. Ribena is ribena. It's lovely. Heinz tomato ketchup? Oh, you couldn't taste that one. Oh, Right. Oh, you don't like ketchup? Oh, so I know people like that who don't like ketchup either, which is interesting. Uh, Marmite? Never, You've never had Marmite? Good Lord. What, your parents couldn't afford it or what? Was it, uh, why have you never had Marmite? You've, oh dear. I mean, do you think you'd like... Well, you don't know. You don't know what it tastes like, do you? If, no. You probably wouldn't like it, actually. I think that's, that's her on the side of caution. And number one is HP Sauce. You wouldn't know. You've never had HP Sauce either. Yes, oh, right, but never had any marmite in the family. Your mammy didn't open the cupboard and go, who's for the marmite? You didn't, nothing like, nothing like that at all. Oh, how odd. Did it, did it make it over there or not? Because when we used to talk to my last producer, Poudre, he hadn't heard of half the things we get over here. You <laughs> he I said, but what did you have at home? And he couldn't remember what they had, but whatever it was, it wasn't, it wasn't what we were having at the same time. How funny, bless him. Anyway. <laughs> So, no Marmite. Actually, uh, I quite like Marmite, but not, not too thick. We don't like thick Marmite. Uh, that kind of makes me feel slightly queasy. But they are the ten brands, and I don't know how many of them... Because somebody was going through the other day, and they were saying uh, about Estee Lauder and all the different brands that they own. They own Clinique, and they've got Avida, I think, now. And lots of things which, don't, which, which fall under the, uh, the umbrella and you think there's all these different companies now and they own so much. It isn't until you start investigating that uh, that you realise that it's it's quite complex out there. Quite complex. Oh, look, what's this a picture of? It's a picture of Sharon Osbourne. We like Sharon Osbourne. She's quite feisty. She's branded herself a cheat for having drastic weight loss surgery. She had a gastric band fitted uh, after failing to control her weight. She said, I felt like a cheat. I had the band on my stomach and uh, she said it was then removed And she's tried low carbs, the Atkins diet, as well as not being too hard on herself, but she fails to stick to it. I'd be fibbing if I said I didn't cheat, she said. Her daughter Kelly has also struggled with weight. Yes, I'm saying everybody struggles with weight. Unless you're really really one of these people that can eat just about everything, everybody struggles with weight. Because everything that you like the taste of is apparently bad for you. We went out the other day and a friend of mine, oh, we were in Covent Garden. He said, oh, look, cream cakes. I said, come away, come away. Evil, evil things they are. You know, and you look at, oh, I could just murder a, you know, a cream horn or a cream slice or something. And like, oh, take them away. They used to do an advert on the television because they used to use a lot of um, uh, baker's cream in there, which wasn't proper cream. And then you could get ones with real cream in. Oh, delicious. I mean, you could just go mad. I did buy a cake a while ago and I did have it. It did make me quite ill. And it's like, uh, it was from Greg's which I always think is the student shop. I'm always the oldest one in there. There's never anybody, you know, they're all about age 15. And it was like a cream puff thing with apple and cream inside it. It was quite delicious. Was quite, and with icing on the top as well. So I was really, really going for it big time. Really going for it big time. Uh, 84850, steve at LBC.co.uk. How much do you trust your vet the only reason I ask is because we've got lots of pet lovers who listen to this programme. Some people, you know, they love their cats, they love their dogs. This, um, this dog went into uh, the vet. Oh, I'll tell you the story in a moment, actually, because it's, it's a bit sad. So you might need a slight break. So I'll tell you, the time is 5.30. <laughs> With the latest headline... Morning, everybody. 27 minutes to 6 is the time. It's Monday morning. Oh, look, it's going to be a nice day. I can tell that because eventually we've gone from dark and gloomy here in London on the building. I have to use the building opposite as my indicator because it's a white stucco-fronted building. And when the sun hits it, it looks quite pleasant, actually. The pavement looks awful, but, I mean, the building looks quite pretty in the sunshine. So I hope uh, hope it's nice where you are this morning and you're looking forward to going to work. No, you're not because it's Monday and you want the weekend to go longer, don't you? You really want the weekend to be like, why can't we have a four-day week? I used to like the four-day weeks. That was quite good fun. Then you've got three days off, three days to relax and do nothing. So when people say to you, so what did you do this weekend? I went, I slept. I slept. That's always the nice thing. Is that You don't get enough sleep nowadays. And sometimes, I was on the phone to a friend of mine last night, And, uh, so, what time are you going to bed? And I said, well, I'm going to bed after I've finished watching Dolly Parton at Glastonbury, which seemed to go on a lot longer than I thought it did. So here's the sad story of the morning, I'm afraid, for animal lovers every You will shed a tear over it. They're devastated. Nicholas Murphy took Gunner, who's his Jack Russell, for treatment after tablets failed to deal with a cough. Vet David Denny allegedly asked if the Terrier, who's 14, had had enough and then gave him a lethal injection. The dog died, because he gave him a lethal injection. Mr Murphy said, I thought he meant of the cough, and then he gave him the injection. He never asked us anything about the injection, he just put the needle in. I thought it was some sort of antibiotic for the cough, and didn't think much of it, till Mr Denny said, where do you want to bury him? So, I mean, (laughs) I'm sorry to laugh at this. So you take your dog in, here He's (coughs) you know what dogs are like. So cough, and, and the vet then allegedly says... Um, has the terrier had enough? And so he thought he meant of the cough medicine, so he went, yes. So the vet, I mean, you couldn't make this up, could you? The vet gives him a lethal injection, and before the man's very eyes, the dog dies. And then the next thing the vet says to him, where would you like him buried? I mean, you couldn't make this up. Mr Murphy says, because um, he lives with his mother and younger brother and sister in Worcester, says, I never got a chance to say goodbye to Gunner. Well, Gunner must have been an equal shock. So here we are, we're at the vet, he's going to look after me. Oh, I'm feeling very tired. You know, I mean, you just, the dog must have been in a dreadful state. One mo- moment he was being given an injection to help, and then suddenly he was dead. So he's going to make an official complaint. And uh, Mr Denny, was named Pet Plan Equine Vet of the Year, described the incident as an accident. He said, I was told by my receptionist they wanted the dog put down. It was a very old dog, but the whole thing was a genuine mistake, and I have apologised. You can't bring them back, can you? I mean, you think you could give them another injection to start the heart again? Because I've seen them do that. Do you know when they sort of do animals for... And, and, they, and they sort of resuscitate them after they give them an anaesthetic? But I suppose after you've actually sort of killed them, there's not really a lot you could do to bring them back. I mean, that bloke must have been absolutely distraught. I remember once a friend of mine, this is many, many years ago, he took his dog out and it got hit by a car... And it died. And the bloke in the car said to me, said, um, I'll give you a carrier bag to take it home in. So he gave him a carrier bag out the boot of the car. Take the dog home in. I mean, you'd be mortified, wouldn't you? But in this particular case, I mean, you understand. I mean, you know, people can make mistakes, but it just it's this irony of what he was saying to him. You know, do you think he's had enough? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Next thing, lethal injection. While well, you're it. You never had a chance to say goodbye to poor Gunner who's now sitting on a cloud with a lot of other dogs who've probably also been in a similar situation, going, I don't want to go to the vet anymore. I don't like it in there. It's not nice. Frightens me. Oh, dear. Actually, talking of things frightening us, white van man is more likely to fall asleep at the wheel. Well, there you go. I mean, we do see a lot of... I don't know why they've got such a bad press, white van men. Is it, is it because they aren't the brightest pennies in the box? I mean, the same applies to anybody who's driving a lorry, I suppose. He's also more at risk by crashing, by following too close, doing a U-turn, reversing or changing lanes. Van drivers' risk of becoming distracted is greater too, but they're least likely to crash at roundabouts. A spokesman for an insurance company which commissioned the study said, "The nation's van drivers play a vital role in our economy. Well, they do, don't they? Because it's it's cheap truck, and we've all used them. We've all been out and rented vans. I try not to rent. We well, haven't rented a van for years. I try not to rent one that's got the name of the company on the side of it. I feel a bit embarrassed, don't you? They're always the ones that pass me on the motorway. I always get passed by by vans going in on hire from Leeds Van Hire or something. In fact, I saw two the other day that were from uh, from a company based up in Leeds because it's the cheapest way for people to move." You know, you you, you get the van in and then you you sort of just get out there and you you move the stuff yourself. And then you suddenly realise, the last time I moved, I thought I was being terribly clever. Terribly clever and actually doing the move myself. So I got a box Luton. How posh does that sound? And suddenly realised that there was no way I was fitting a three-bedroom house into a box Luton. And then it started raining. And that's when I got very cross, and that's when I lost my temper and used rude words. So I was getting in the van, and that's when the people who were buying my house, as I was moving out, were sitting outside getting drenched in their van, waiting for me to disappear completely. So in the end, I left them with my garden furniture, made it rot in hell, and, uh, and some, some cabinets, some wardrobes upstairs, made they fall apart, and, uh, and lots of things like that, because I just didn't have the chance to get it out. You suddenly realise how many... I had a whole room full of clothes. The clothes themselves took up half of the van. I suddenly—I was carrying these things around for years. I need to... Every so often we have, we have to clear out at home and every so often they do a television series where they look at people who hoard things. I have to hold my hands up and tell you I hoard things. I am terrible. I'm, it's so easy to do. And, and you get to that... St- and I can't understand how you ever get to these stages. But a friend of mine thinks I know more people in this stage... You know, people who have... Well, I've, I've spoken to celebrities before, and we've talked about this, and I spoke to one a short while ago, and I said, oh, do you hoard things, thinking they would? And this particular celebrity said, no, 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 minimalist. I said, really? How do you do that? I just don't understand how anybody could be minimalist. You know, I mean, if I lived in a 25-room mansion, I could fill it all up quite easily. And not just inside, but outside, in the boot of the car, everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. And as far as I can... And then people say to me, i tell you what we'll do. We'll, we'll come round and clear it. I go, no, it's all treasure. It's all treasure. You know, it might be su- somebody else's rubbish, but I think, Mum, our brother's dreading it. If I drop dead before Christmas this year, he's got to clear the place. And he said, well, how much is there? I thought, quite a bit. And he said, well, how long will it take? I mean, that's what he's worrying about. How long will it take? You know, no, not worrying about me or little or little sort of gummer at the at the vets who now doesn't need to worry about any, if anybody's using his bowl or anything like that, or his dog basket. Poor soul. 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. I still can't work out how people could tell the difference. They used to that test test, taste test on the television. You know, can you tell the difference between stalk and butter? And I thought, well, you're probably, in a blind taste test, I probably couldn't. I'm not very good at things like that. I used to get stopped on the street ages ago. They would sort of stop and say, hello, we're doing a survey for peanuts. I'd say, oh, riveting. But then I have free free peanuts. And she'd go there to the local church hall or the town hall and say, would you like to try this one? What do you think of that one? Tastes like a peanut. OK, what's this one like? Tastes like another peanut. Yeah, you because know, I'm a bit bland on stuff like that. Then I never get the interesting things like, we would you like to try these vodkas? They never do that because I could quite happily drink them dry and not not have a care in the world. Not that I drink vodka that often now. I'm still managing to get the uh, the prosecco. I like the prosecco actually. I feel as though it's a bit it's cheaper than champagne, and and it gives you sort of you, you feel a bit grand drinking drinking prosecco. I quite like that actually. It's quite nice. Uh, uh, the bubbles go to your head. Yeah. And you know that you can leave the top off the bottle, and the next day you can still pour it out. And if you do it from a height, you can still get the bubbles, which is great. I quite like that. Have with marmite little sandwiches or something. <laughs> Actually, no, might Sandwiches are horrible. <laughs> Absolutely horrible. Um, my spirit guide led to me the family I never knew. This is Laura Milne. And she's got a spirit guide called William. Have you noticed? Every I wish I had a spirit guide myself. I see them on the television. I see Sally Morgan. Oh, hello. She goes in that funny little voice she's got. I think she's got a spirit guide. Although the spirit guide didn't predict, did it, a short while ago that the person she was talking to was, in fact, alive and in the front row. <laughs> Made a little bit of a mistake on that one. She's gone quite quiet, actually, on the television. But we do have Colin in the morning on our televisions down here in the south. I don't know whether you get Colin as well. Colin also claims to talk to the dead, which I always find a fascinating thing, because they never get the names right. You'd think... As I've pointed out on numerous occasions, that uh, if they really do have a spirit guide, they could give them first name and surname. But apparently the spirit guide stumbles through the English language and only can come up with sort of something like Martin or Marion or it's kind of fumbling in the dark. You feel like saying, why don't you find a spirit guide that can at least speak the English language? And that way would make it an awful lot easier. Um, Pop star Ed Sheeran has admitted trashing a hotel room. Now this is this is nice boy, Ed Sheeran. We like Ed Sheeran a lot, but of course the funny side of this story is he trashed the hotel room. He felt so bad about it. He tidied it all up again. That's sweet. You just you look at him and you think there's no way that you could ever be a nasty boy. It's just it's just not physically possible. He and some pals piled everything in the hotel bedroom into the bath following a party after the Grammy Awards, and uh, then he said, "I felt so bad that I detrashed the room and put it all back again." I think that's so good I think that's such a nice thing Because that used to be so rock and roll, wasn't it? Where you would go in and, and trash rooms and do things like that Nowadays people don't uh, do not do it I can't do it actually at all I'm, I've never been that kind of person I've always wanted to be I've always wanted to be the sort of person that could actually sort of throw things You know, when somebody loses their temper they can throw a vase at the wall or I couldn't do that I absolutely couldn't do that It's not my not my kind of thing at all uh, Malaysia Airlines, the missing flight, we're still talking about it. We have no idea where it is. There is no chance of it ever being found. This is MH370. An Australian team say the Boeing 777 suffered a strange power uh, outage early in its flight from Kuala Lumpur to Beijing. They believe somebody in the cockpit was trying to shut down vital equipment to avoid radar detection. So uh, they think that somebody, and it can only be... The pilot, I mean, it can't be anybody else, can it? I mean, nobody else would have access to this sort of thing here. The Australian report said the Boeing, with 239 people on board, attempted to log on to a satellite three minutes after it was detected by a Malaysian military radar. The plane made another log-on request six hours later. And it's believed to have been caused by the plane running out of fuel and electrical power before apparently crashing in the southern Indian Ocean. So somewhere in the Indian Ocean, this vast this vast expanse of water, there is a plane sitting, and they can't find it. They've got no idea where it is. They've got no idea how it came down. It's just pure guesswork at the moment. Will they ever find it? I don't know. In years to come, let's face it, we found the Titanic. It can't be that difficult to find. They must have been able to sort of pinpoint something and cut the area down. But it is so vast. It literally is looking for a pin in an ocean. Chance of well winning the lottery, I suppose, winning the Euro Millions. It's that that difficult to do nowadays. But they now say there is evidence of cockpit tampering, and that would firmly lay the blame at the door of the pilot or the co-pilot. And it looks more likely it's the captain. It looks more likely. But as I say, this is pure guesswork, I'm afraid. Quick time check for you this morning. It's quarter to six on LBC. <laughs> a bit of rain around later but i some odd showers this afternoon but generally speaking monday dry sunny spells away from the southern coast the cloud will bubble up to give the odd shower here and there. High today, about 20 degrees. Tonight, the showers should die out, giving a mostly dry night. And tomorrow, the rain will die out in the morning. All parts then having a dry and warm day with bright or sunny spells. And Wednesday through Friday, dry and warm. Sunny spells Wednesday and Thursday, cloudy and breezy on Friday, perhaps with the odd shower. The more you read about this story about poor, poor Gunner, the little dog who sort of went into the vet for a cough, and then the vet said, oh, mistakes happen. Which, of course, I mean, he's quite right, mistakes do happen. But you would think there would be something in place that would be a little bit more than the receptionist. The uh, the vet here says the receptionist said that, um, that they wanted the dog put down. You would think, he said, I was told by the receptionist they wanted the dog put down, it was an accident, a breakdown of trust. I mean, should there not be something else? I mean, can you just administer a, um, an injection to a dog without saying to them, would you like to say goodbye? Or some, or signing a consent form. I don't know. Is it just easy to put animals down in surgeries? I mean, it seems a little bit dismissive. The vet, when this sort of, they didn't know what he was talking about, and even even the guy himself says he's never he never asked us anything about the injection. He just put the needle in. There was no consent form, no no permission. And then when he said, "Do you want the dog buried here? Do you want to take it home?" So they took it home. I mean, you you, you have to see the the, the the sort of the really sad side of it. And when he was questioned, David Denny, the vet. He says, I mean, he admitted killing the dog in error, says, I was told by my receptionist they wanted to put the dog down. It was an accident. I mean, wouldn't you then ask them again? Do you not check twice? You know, you just don't. Somebody says, yeah, they want it put down. I mean, did the receptionist say that? Did they say that to the receptionist? Well, you know, should there not be a form? We'd we'd like the animal put down and you sign this consent form here and they do it. Otherwise, they just hand these injections out willy nilly. And then when he was asked by the, uh, you know, by, by the papers, he said, I'm not going to say anything further. He's kind of, you know, he's... He, I mean, to be honest, there's not a lot more he can say. He's apologised. And, uh, Nicholas, boy who owned the dog, has made an official complaint to the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons. Because there must be something better in place, rather than the receptionist says they want the dog put down. Because anybody could go in there with tiddles or whatever. And they go, oh, the reception wants to put the dog down. Yes. No, when we said put it down, we meant put it down on the floor. Not put it down asleep, dead. Thank you very much indeed. So, obviously, breakdown in communication... And a bit embarrassing for the vet. Mind you, as I've said before, never find a poor vet, do you? They all seem to make quite a lot of money. It costs a fortune now to go to the vet. Anybody who's got animals, if you've got two animals, I don't know how you're affording it. In between all the uh, all the sort of different things, is Gunner now a, a goner, says Ian? He is, sadly. That is, that is a little bit sad for them. Especially as they've, they've actually got Gunner's father, who's 18 and is still going. They just don't have Gunner. Uh, loving my job doing... Nothing. This is uh, White D's latest of jaunt. The uh, vastly overweight and horrendously untalented waste of space is over there holding a poolside party at a Spanish hotel whilst raking in £214 a week in benefits because she's far too depressed to work. I said well, perhaps we could find her a job somewhere. But I think we need to stop the benefits as quickly as possible. And uh, she tweeted, love my job doing... Nothing. Sponging off the taxpayers, wrote some Twitter critic. I don't know how she dares. Well, she does. And uh, there's more of these people out there. There's lots of this. uh, You see them in the paper. We seem to expose benefit fraudsters every day in the paper. This one here is getting it because uh, because she's got depression, although we've seen no evidence of depression at all. But there must be something she can do, because otherwise we all might as well just say, I've got depression. I don't want to work anymore. Uh, Anyway, she was... um, Apparently, it's expected... This is an inquiry into to recommend withdrawing her incapacity benefit, now known as employment and support allowance due to promotional work she did in Spain. Fantastic! Let's get her back working. Let's make her a useful member of society, as opposed to this fat waste of space. Anyway, she's complained to the police on Mallorca after she was thrown fully clothed into a pool. She was targeted by thugs at a four-hour pool party at the hotel complex. I did smile then. I'm so sorry. Uh, She wants compensation for whiplash... Injuries, she alleges she suffered and is vowing to press charges after claiming she was kicked in the head. Oh, dear. It's awful, isn't it, to happen, you know, over there, because the Spanish police are not known for following these things up. Her agent, who is beginning to get on my nerves as well, says, Dee takes a lot of flack, but this was horrible. So, and scrounging mum Josie Cunningham is writing her life story. As I've said before, woke up, smoked cigarette, got pregnant, went back to bed. Took money off people, uh, went back to bed, went out, apparently worked as, as call girl, uh, not very successful at that, got pregnant. And that's end of story. I mean, you can put it on the back of a grain of sand. You don't need to actually spin it out too long. Of course, now, because it's built up, they now call her the £1,000 a night escort. There's no chance anybody would ever have paid her a £1,000 a night. It's as simple as that. You've only got to look at how desperately, desperately unattractive she is. But uh, she says, uh, don't, don't judge me, but wait for my book to come out Nobody will be buying it, love. I can promise you that. Nobody with any common sense in their in their tiny little brains themselves. She says, um, I've been offered two book deals. I've not signed either yet, but I will next week. They're very appealing. But they're going to do it with spelling mistakes and everything else. I mean, it's just pathetic, isn't it, the way we go in this country. A friend revealed, this will be her agent, no doubt, Josie reckons the book is the key to her becoming rich. Hmm. You don't think £1,000 a night hooking is the way to becoming rich, do you? Perhaps just another child. As I say, yesterday she said she couldn't care less in one of the Sunday papers whether or not the smoking harmed her baby. I did actually then appeal to social services, get off your fat bottoms and get out there and do something about this poor child who's coming into a relationship with a woman who's got two children already and who quite clearly can't even bring those up. She admitted smoking and drinking because she's now expecting a boy. She says, I'm being honest. Yes, that's the trouble. She thinks the book will make her a million. Of course you do, love. Of course you do. And that's why it's so sweet to see the ignorant appearing in the papers. But there again, you know, the sun have obviously gone out there and they've, they've sort of got a picture of her, which has been posed in a studio, and it's purely designed to just uh, just annoy people. Gogglebox tele-stars Sandy Channer and Sandra Martin are facing the chop because apparently they're blowing Channel 4's food budget. Not because they eat a lot. No, they're just fat, aren't they? Well, one of them's fat. The other one doesn't look too fat. None of the cast members get paid for appearing on the hit reality show. Uh, Channel 4 does give everybody a modest food allowance of around £300 for drinks and snacks throughout the series to feast on whilst they're being filmed. You see, what I think they do in this programme, I think they give them the programmes to watch on DVD, and then they just give them some food, and then you get this ridiculous pair, Sandy and Sandra, who are sort of over... It's almost like they've actually come from central casting isn't it? And uh, so virtually every shot you see of them, they're actually eating, and that's why one of them can barely move, I should imagine, poor soul. She's just sort of stumped there. Uh, Channel 4 said there's no issue about food budgets, no decision has been made about the cast for Series 4. Because what they do, they go, Okay, which ones are interesting? There's the two drunks who've got the house in Kent that they're trying to sell, who are just a little bit out to lunch. Then you've got this, this pair of, of people who are quite clearly playing up to the cameras and, uh, and doing acting. So I wouldn't be surprised if they were equity members already and they're sort of professional buffoons. And then they've got another bloke, one bloke who doesn't say anything. And people say to me, you must watch this. No, the programme I want to watch is the, is the Mormon programme. And I haven't seen it yet, but a friend of mine said yesterday, he said, you've got to see this programme. It's about some poor boy who's 18 years old. His family are Mormons and they're from Worcestershire or somewhere. Else. We seem to be featuring Worcestershire quite a lot on this programme recently. I'm sorry about that, Worcestershire, but it's your own fault. And um, he's, he's up there with his family. And they, what they do is they take the boys away from their family for two years. And they live with their mentor, who's another bloke, and they're with them all the time. And they sleep in the same room, they're there all the time, and they guide them through the teaching of, uh, of being a Mormon. And they have no, no contact with women, all they have to do is go round, knock on doors saying, would you like to be friends with Jesus? And nine out of ten times where he is, they're all Muslim families, so of course quite clearly they don't want to be friends with Jesus, thank you very much indeed. So he's kind of wasting his time, we've had tears, we've had everything. He's obviously in a terrible state because he can probably see his life vanishing like this, and it just looks slightly uncomfortable. I feel a bit sorry for him, really, because he's been indoctrinated into this uh, this sort of religion which his parents have got, because I suppose most people follow the religions that their parents have got. So if your father was a Catholic and your mother was a Catholic, you're going to be a Catholic. Hardly going to be Buddhist, are you? Although, in the case of this particular boy, he's probably beginning to regret he was ever born into this family in the first place. Uh, there is the party reveller. He says um, he's... Rev- this is Alex Smethurst... He claims uh, that somebody announced, the host, the first person to give Dee a soaking would get a free drink. So he pushed her in the pool, in keeping with the rest of this country, Alex. Uh, And he claimed that almost a dozen people joined him in rushing to the poolside in Magaluf. Well, you know what a tacky area Magaluf. Have you ever been to Magaluf? Oh, it has another name. It has another name. It's not not particularly pleasant. It's cheap. It's, it's, It's full of people like her. It's full of cheap trish trash. Trash, trash, trash. And uh, they're all there, and it's just, it's horrible. It really is a horrible place. So police have launched an investigation into the assault. What, because she was pushed in a pool? Oh, diddums, get over yourself, love. Get over yourself. Dolly Parton, everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. Please take me to your bosom, reads one of the signs that was being held up, as Dolly, with her wig and uh, her rhinestone outfit, captivated the crowd, who they said sung along to all the hits. Well, no, they didn't because they don't know half of them. They only know the Jolines and all the other little thing. They don't know half the stuff she sings about, and as I said earlier on this morning, there is the big question. Was it all live, or was some of it Memorex? Was she actually playing some of these instruments, or was that a little bit made up? A little bit difficult to tell with the nails she's got on. Uh, Helen Wood is still in the Big Brother house and still being a very nasty piece of work. So I don't know why, actually, the the papers still still go on about it. Richard Desmond doesn't have anything to do with Channel 5 now. He offloaded it. And yet he still seems to be plugging Celebrity Big Brother or Big Brother. They're not celebrities, are they? I have to keep reminding myself that they aren't celebrities. and Please God, they never will be. Oh, here's a, oh we found a picture of Alexa Chung. I'm so grateful now I know who she looks like. Very bland and boring, isn't she? She's not, a, not the most exciting person in the world. And uh, she must be the only person for miles who managed to stay looking fresh. She's 30, but puffing on a cigarette. So she probably stinks like an old ashtray, poor soul. But uh, she's uh, she's in the papers for today. Many more to come on your Monday early morning breakfast show. I'm here till 6.30 till we hand over to Lisa Aziz with the morning news for today. The Guardian says Labour will pledge tax breaks for businesses to try and lure investiga- uh, investigators investors back to Britain. Princes battle with grammar schools, the headline in The Telegraph, which claims Prince Charles has lobbied ministers over the issue. The Financial Times reports the German finance minister has vowed to do all he can to keep the UK in the EU. And we take all your texts and emails. Morning, everybody. So after the sad story of the dog who's now a goner, poor little soul. We shall wait to see what the outcome of that is, but... No bringing them back, is there, I'm afraid. We'll go through the front pages of the papers. It's Dolly Day everywhere. The papers have gone absolutely crackers for her. Crackers. You might never see her like ever again down at Glastonbury. They seem to have changed the, uh, the goalpost there. Scally, good morning. Thank you very much indeed. Nice to hear from you. Oh, I've got a book about Whitechapel and Stepney as well. It's one of those books where if you live in a particular area of London or Glasgow or Birmingham, it's nice when somebody does photo books and then they can you can have a look back at your own area. You should be interested in where you live because... Uh, it'll it'll make it more interesting for you, as opposed to just going, this is the front door, this is me closing it, this is the kebab shop. There is more to life. All of that and more on the programme this morning. Uh, The man in the Daily Star on why I dunked White D, the ridiculous excuse for a person. But there again, we seem to have quite a few of them now, don't we? Uh, Elton John says Jesus would let gay clergy wed. Just guaranteed to inflame just about everybody, I should imagine. And, um... And why was this one? Oh, it's Prince Harry again. I can't quite work out. Prince Harry's on a tour of Chile for some reason, and he's there uh, just having a photo opportunity. doesn't actually appear to be, I thought... I couldn't remember whether he was in the forces or whether he came out of them. Fans go mud for it, but did Dolly Diddles? Her vocals didn't quite seem as well polished. When in fact, I thought, actually, her vocals were perfect. Absolutely perfect. Spot on. Music fans were saying, is she miming it, while others, convinced she was faking it, tweeted, Dolly is miming the singing and playing instruments too, shameful at Glastonbury. Kay Burley accused the 68-year-old singer, tweeting, oh, Dolly is miming, how disappointing. You see, I mean, she seemingly does uh, this sort of of out-of-breath singing, where she sings like a little... You know, giddy up Charlie Hoss, gone to the moon. Can we stay all night? And if she sings it. So I have to get There's The only way I can describe it to you, when you watch it back on YouTube, you listen to it and you think, is that really her singing or is, it, is she miming to herself? And I don't know. A spokesman for the singer has hit back, calling it ridiculous to say she's. I mean, I quite agree. I mean, she's been a singer all her life. Why would she ever mime? It's just that it sounds odd. It doesn't quite sound right. I mean, she is 68 now. Six years. She's entitled. I mean, even when um, the great Barbara Streisand came back and did Caesar's Palace, and she went through some of her hits, because she's the age she is, she couldn't hit some of the notes, and she certainly couldn't sustain them for as long as she did before. It's still interesting. It was still Dolly Parner. She still pulled the biggest crowd at Glastonbury. She beat Metallica. Going to prove, perhaps they should go all light-ent next time round. Oh, look, here she is again. Alexa Chung's been mentioned again. This time in the, uh, in the Metro. She's dismissed reports that with her hearty smoker's cough, she ambitions to become a pop star. I still don't know if she's ever so sorry. I feel a bit rude, actually, about it, because I'm sure she's perfectly pleasant. It's just that when you don't know who somebody is and you keep reading about them, is she one of these... Well, Dee the, described her as an it girl. For that right? wannabe, Oh, she's a wannabe model, is she? Oh, right. And she got, like, friends in all the right places? And so she gets invited to Glastonbury and stuff like Oh, dull, dullard. Dullard. Uh, Claudia Winkerman claims she never planned to work in TV. Oh, please, God, it finishes soon. Make it go away. Make it go away. And, uh, Joey Essex plays dumb, but the TOWIE producers say he's the best at picking up the script and positions. It's all just an act, how thick he is, they tell us. Yeah. Don't think so. They're, they're obviously trying to drum up some sort of interest in in poor old Joey Essex, but, uh, the sooner he disappears and the sooner we manage to get rid of, um... I think the Fahir sisters, the happier we will all be. And somebody wrote to me and said, how many faces has Gemma Collins got? That's a very difficult one to answer. She is the most two-faced person you will ever see on the uh, the television. Actually, on the subject of Glastonbury, just going back briefly, um, Michael Evis uh, has said it's only got about six years to go. And then he said it will just finish. Although it seems to be getting more successful year after year after year. He says, I think I can run another six years, which takes me up to 50 years, and then we'll see what happens. He's 78 now, so he could be eight... I mean, he's going to... I mean, he so no no sign of slowing down at all. He looks really good. Very interested. Uh, Harry Styles, poised to ditch his bandmates and make a stab at solo success. That's what somebody teased the other day. I mean, it, it would make perfect sense. I always thought that would happen. And I can confidently predict now that if he does... Uh, leave One Direction and go solo, the band will collapse within within seconds. There's no way that you can ever go on. The Spice Girls never recovered when they started all splitting up, so I see no reason why um, it would work for One Direction. They're working them hard at the moment. Uh, Nick Ferrari is going to be looking today at uh, the gang rape of a 17-year-old girl in Slough. It's one of the stories that made the papers over the weekend. They're looking for uh, police officers, they're looking for a car and they're looking for a Somali Uh, a Somali appearance who was seen in an off-licence visited by the Asian girl and one of the suspects shortly before the attack took place. What happens is the victim met a group of men in the street, began talking with one of them on Friday evening in Slough uh, after she went with him to an off-licence. I've got no idea what a a girl is doing going to an off-licence, I'm afraid. Anyway, he led to a patch of uh, woodland where four of the original group were lying in wait. Several of them then raped the girl who's being looked after by specialist officers and uh, they're now looking uh, for their car, a small silver car, ahead of the attack in the Chalvi area of Slough. The men were all Asian, uh, in their 20s. They will be found. I said yesterday, I'll be surprised by the end of today if they haven't made an arrest. Uh, it's not going to be too difficult to find them because they will be caught on CCTV at some point. And uh, they'll be taken in for questioning, because this has to be stopped immediately. This is just getting absolutely ridiculous in this country. Although I still question what on earth a girl of 17 was doing going to an off-licence with people she quite clearly did not know. Uh, Who's this? Oh, it's uh, Conchita Wurst, performing at the end of the Pride Parade in London. Uh, The Austrian and Sunita were among the acts in Trafalgar Square. 20,000 people took part in the parade from Baker Street to Whitehall. And uh, to all intents and purposes, very, very, very successful. So it was nice. I mean, that the, the aftermath was still in still in Leicester Square, I think, he, when I was coming in yesterday morning. Very, very busy out in town. Very, very busy. Uh, Graham says, is Josie Cunningham's book going to be a pop-up book? Well, I think it's going to be Colouring In. I think it's a Colouring In book. Most of you seem to suggesting it could be a Colouring In book, and that, that could be quite funny, couldn't it? <laughs> I mean, to be honest with you, nobody would be buying it. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. What they try to do is, as usual with these things, they sort of make up some sort of story, and then they try and get the publisher interested so she can make some sort of money out of it. But... I don't see any uh, any hope for it whatsoever. But there again, that's just me probably being very bitter. But I hate people who don't work for a living and uh, and say things like, I'll abort my baby to get uh, to get a job on television. It's not good enough. Uh, in front of the, uh, the Daily Express today, how to get a bigger pension payout, the simple way to boost your income. And thousands of Britons, they say, and that could be you, could double their income from savings by putting off taking a state pension, by making the most of new freedoms workers due to retire in the next two years could significantly boost the amount that they receive. So if you want to know more on that, it's in the Daily Express for today. Plus the Kings of Rockney, half of one of Britain's best-loved acts, Chaz Hodges, lifting the curtain on a life spent on stage. That's all I was thinking when I was watching Dolly Parton the other day. I kept thinking, all she's done in her life is appeared on stage. She literally... She goes on stage, she flies around the world, you know, she has the best of everything. Occasionally, she wants to go home and recharge the batteries, and then off they go again. I don't think she's stopped working in, what, 50, 60 decades. She wrote her first song at seven, I think, and she has not stopped working. She keeps getting, that's all she knows about. That's all she knows about, going on stage and singing. And she plays Dolly Parton, and she plays Dolly Parton very well. She's had loads of work done, but it doesn't matter, doesn't matter, it's still Dolly Parton and she was the toast of Glastonbury, as indeed I think most people predicted at the time. I think everybody was saying she's the one who's going to storm it because a lot of the young people there, they won't know who she is, they'll have heard of Dolly Parton but they won't know any of her songs and now they know exactly what she does and because she's got a new album out, I suppose lots of people would go out there and relive the uh, the Jolene moment. I did mention earlier the teenager called Kendall Jones. She's really not a nice person. What does she do? She shoots animals, and she shoots animals for fun. She uh, has uh, boasted on Facebook and Twitter about killing prey, including a lion, a leopard, an elephant, a buffalo, and rhino, and uh, a rhinoceros. She comes from Texas. She's thought to be the youngest person to have shot the so-called Big Five African beasts. I can't... I don't actually see any... I, I, I'm so speechless by this story. Thousands went to want Facebook to kick her off the site and South Africans called for her to be banned from the country. What she does is she goes to these places where you can legally go out and shoot animals. So, in other words, some poor lion has sort of, you know, kept its life together and then some girl here who's a cheerleader from Texas, who's 19, with her brains quite clearly in her rear end, goes out there and is pictured with all these animals dragging away a cheetah, a dead stag. I mean, a a huge lion. She just killed it for no other purpose apart from killing it. A slaughtered rhinoceros uh, and also a hippopotamus. And you think to yourself, I tell you what, love, let's take away the gun next time and see how you fare, shall we? That'll be mostly fun for, for the rest of us. What a vile person. Quarter past six. Steve Allen on LBC. Every day, I don't think, I think without fail, you open up the papers every day, and there's always somebody really stupid in the papers. So it's either somebody who's a benefits cheat, somebody who's a waste of space. And today, there's an even more fantastic story of a woman called Jennifer Butler. Jennifer Butler is a mother of three young children. Uh, She's devoted to them. Unfortunately, she's leaving them. And she's leaving them because she's met a lag on a website in America. And so she's dumping the kids here on their father, and she's going to go over to America. And uh, they're all less than 10. She says, leaving my children is not an easy thing to decide to do. I know some people will think I'm abandoning them, but uh, for me to do that, it must mean what I have with Chris is important. This is a woman who does not know anybody. She's met him on one of these so-called sites in America, where they uh, fairly controversial sites, where they link up some some thoroughly stupid people with no brain cell with prisoners. He's due to be released in September, so she thinks that she's got some relationship going with him. And so she's prepared to dump the children for a new life with a prison lover in America. Well, I mean, <laughs> just absolutely unbelievable. She only met him on a website. Got no idea anything about him at all. I mean, what she's taking is the biggest risk, because this man is a lag. He's quite clearly got a bit of a history. And uh, these women... Uh, are aware that their pen pal is in prison. They know they're naughty boys, which makes them attractive. So she thinks she's been really clever. Unfortunately, she's made herself out to be one of the dumbest persons I've ever seen in the paper. Prisoners are reforming characters, which women also find appealing. And uh, what does he do for a living? What does she do for a living? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So, I mean, how she's going to be able to just go over there, dump the children, and, and go there? The Americans are quite quite hot on this sort of thing. I mean, it is a terrible risk. So, in other words, you go there, you have a relationship on the internet. You don't know anybody. You can't have a relationship like that. That's like having, a, you know, just an imaginary friend who looks like a white rabbit. So she's dumping the kids here on their father, and she's going 5,000 miles to uh, to be with this man. She's only met on this dating website. It's a bit pathetic, really, isn't it? You feel a bit sorry for her but, uh, that that's that's what she's prepared to do. I mean, I'm almost... almost heartbroken actually almost heartbroken uh, the book i mentioned cuz uh, just in case you missed it is uh, robert bard's whitechapel and stepney through time what he's done is he's gone through whitechapel and stepney and this is the this is the area where we had the sydney street siege and they've got lots of lots of uh, pictures of that uh, which is very interesting. And they, they've taken pictures of what the area used to look like and then what it looks like today. And, you, be, you know, it's, it's quite depressing, really, that uh, so much of Whitechapel and Stepney has changed. You know, they pull down old buildings and they put up modern, horrible-looking buildings. They pull down, you know, the Danish church went down, the mosque went down, all sorts of things just vanished. And they disappear, never to, never to be seen again. And they've got the Bradley... Brady Street Jewish Cemetery as well, uh, lots of double burials taking place on that one. The Novobeth Chaim as well, very very Jewish area actually. The People's Palace on the Mile End Road. It's a fascinating book of pe- if you live in these areas. If you live around Whitechapel, step you're going to. You know, this is the sort of thing you would look at and go, God, oh, blimey! My grandmother used to live down there. That's a, you know there were slum areas and they were labelled as slum areas. That's the uh, that's the big problem in these places. And that sometimes they think they're doing really well, and they think they're actually sort of going to be, uh, you know, sort of improving an area. But I don't think they are. Eight eight five zero oh, Steve at lbc dot uk, which we've all your texts and emails in on the uh, on the program. And uh, another one here. Uh, uh, I enjoyed watching. Dolly says Jeff. But I thought, how many more times can she say, I'm so excited to be here, and how many more times can she plug this, that, and the other? It's a kind of sales presentation. Yes, oh, yeah, absolutely. It's formulaic. And also, because she's 68, that's all she knows how to do. She, she just says, you know, I, I'd like to thank all of you who've ever bought... You know, a ticket to my show, bought any of my records or, you know, done any of those sort of things. That's what she does. But in fact, she could have been talking to anybody at that, at the Glastonbury thing. She knew how to say the right things. I've been told all about the murder. I come from the Smoky Mountains. It makes it sound quite exciting, actually, whereas in fact it was one up from a slum. But they make it sound exciting, the Blue Smoky Mountains. (laughs) It's interesting. Uh, Little Julie says, you're quite right about the young girl. Take away the gun and see how she fares against the animals. I thought Dolly sang live, too, and indeed, the best act there. Well, she's, she's proved, hasn't she, at the age of 68, that she can, she can do it better than anybody else. And that's why she's still touring and still making the money. I'd love to know, you know, how much money she makes. Loads and loads, I should think. Uh, the Sun this morning. Uh, stick your holes, VAT. The Sun today calling for a cut in VAT for UK holidays, which is what Nick Ferrari is going to be talking about. But not, not necessarily holidays, but uh, people taking children out of school. There's a test case which is going on, and uh, they're going to be looking at the uh, uh, Michael Gove's truancy curbs. Uh, They'll talk to a Lib Dem MP for Birmingham Yardley, who's been advising this family. Uh, It's an American, and he wants to take them out, so he can go back to America to celebrate their great-great-grandfather's memorial. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't really know why we bother having schools. Perhaps, people, but perhaps just privately educated people. It would be so much easier, wouldn't it? But uh, that's going to be interesting. We shall, uh, we shall find out just where Nick Ferrari sits on that one. The Sun on the front page. Forget Demi, here's Gimme More. Scrounger Josie goes nude. Does make you feel slightly queasy, I'm afraid. And uh, unfortunately, she looks nothing like Demi Moore, but she now has started believing the publicity, which is purely thanks to the Sun newspaper. Daily Mail today. Uh, Student loan firm's Wonga Tactics, the firm that administers student loans, has been accused of using Wonga Tactics to threaten graduates struggling to keep up with repayments. Letters sent in the name of a non-existent firm, Smith, Lawson & Company, adopted the same intimidating language as Genuine Debt Collection Agencies. It emerged last night that the student loans company has sent out thousands of the letters since 2005, It said Smith-Lawson was a cost-saving exercise, but there were fresh calls from consumer groups for a police inquiry into the tactics. Daily Express this morning. Leo McKinstry is talking about uh, Germany controlling the EU. We've got to get out now. Uh, Daily Mirror. Hello, Dolly. Everybody seems to love Dolly. I've never known so many people absolutely love uh, love Dolly. And uh, struggling families fear they'll lose their homes after a rich Tory's firm bought 90 flats and immediately hiked the rents. Telegraph this morning. Uh, Rupert Everett, offer me a line of Coke and I take it. Wow. And Cameron says I can still do business with Yonker. Uh, all of that and more in the papers for today. There'll be a free podcast for you up in about 30 minutes' time. I wish you a pleasant day. It's, uh, it's only the Monday, so... Got a whole week to go yet, but don't worry. And you can follow me on Twitter at Steve Allen Show. I'm back again tomorrow from 4 a.m. If you missed any of today's show, you can listen again whenever and wherever you like through the new podcast service. Download the app now. Later on LBC, Nick Ferrari is here from 7 a.m., but next it's Lisa Aziz with the Morning News.